Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What is up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and super excited to bring you this one. Uh, if you remember at the start of last month, we did a podcast with Mountain Bike G Eddie Masters and uh, we had a bit of a conversation about the guy who owns and runs the team that he rides for now by the name of Bernard Kerr. And Bernard has always been a real interesting dude. Uh, I've actually followed him for a really, really long time on Instagram because uh, he did the Stoppy Sunday thing. Uh, and then he really got into like the whole YouTube deal, um, but probably more so for moto than for the mountain bike stuff. Um, he is a just insanely talented mountain bike rider who makes some super cool content um and then yeah translated that into the youtube stuff and then he undertook a bit of an interesting project he basically tried to race a1 although he'd never raced any other uh like motocross supercross race really ever um so yeah i really just wanted to get him on to sort of i guess see where his head's at with thinking how he can pull all that stuff off and uh really cool story he's got a really really interesting story how he ended up running uh, a race team at the world cups and now the enduro world series uh his story about trying to race a1 is insane and he's just a really cool all-round dude so i really enjoyed this podcast and i think it is a great way to kick off the last month for 2020. Uh, We are brought to you today by the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au. I've actually got the MX Store browser open right now because I've got some stuff to get before the weekend. If you get your orders in before 2 p.m. on weekdays, you will get same day shipping, which is insane. And if you live around the Gold Coast area, you can just head on into their Gold Coast Superstore. Uh, The guys are killing it. They, uh, man, they've been doing some great stuff. 2020 has been a huge year for the guys at MX Store, and I'm excited to extend that partnership with these guys into 2021. Uh, We're also brought to you by the Glove Lord himself, Sammy and his crew at Fist Handwear. Chapter 14 has just dropped. They've restocked a bunch of stuff on their website, so you can head to fisthandwear.com, use the code GYPSYGANG, and you're going to get a 15% off coming into summer they've got their mesh gloves I absolutely love these things I've been running them for a while Uh, they're by far and away my favorite out of the fist range 
Uh, you can also head to dixonquality.com.au, pump in that same promo code Gypsy Gang, and that is going to get you 15% off. Uh, look, it's getting hot. Now, unless you're one of those crazy Dixon collectors that buys Dixon all year round, you might be more interested in their party shirts. We were running them basically. Well, we run them at basically every party. Uh, the party shirts are insane. Perfect for summer. Uh, they've got really good board shorts, really good uh, like work shorts that are made out of board short material. So uh, Dixon flannel, not just uh, flannels. So dixonquality.com.au. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Dry Times. That code Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off there as well. Uh, drytimes.com come and uh yeah they're unreal i've been using these towels for training which i'm finally back doing um and yeah they're unreal uh best thing about these towels is they don't collect sand uh which has been really good you can actually uh dry off at the beach without just basically rubbing sand all over yourself perfect for this gold coast summer uh we're also brought to you guys we're also brought to you by the guys at rivalinkdesignco.com. Uh, they posted on their Instagram about their Christmas cutoff times. These guys have been working their asses off through this 2020 weird year uh, to basically streamline all of their productivity. They've invested massively back into their company uh, to cut down wait times. These guys get absolutely hammered because they are the best in the game. But with everything that they have done, to make sure that they can cut down their wait times. The volume of orders that these lords get uh, means that there is a Christmas cutoff. So please, if you're in the market for some new graphics or if you're a parent that is going to give some new graphics to your kids for Christmas or if you need to get your mid-2K stuff ordered and ready, uh, then you need to go to rivalinkdesignco.com right now. The code Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off as well. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Cricks Tweed. If you need a brand new vehicle, new or used, uh, the guys at Cricks have got you covered. Head to crickstweed.com.au. Uh, you can email them, call them, ask for Kyle, tell them you're a member of the Gypsy Gang and that I sent you in there. And then he's going to give you a deal for show. Um, but yeah, those guys have been an amazing sponsor of ours. Um, and 2020 has been a really great year working with those guys. So, uh, my Triton is unreal. Absolutely love that thing. You can own one as well. Crickstweed.com.au. That's it for me and the ads. Uh, I posted about it on Instagram, but we had our biggest month ever in November. So thank you so much. It's been absolutely insane. Uh, I've done pretty much nothing but work on the podcast and it has been awesome. I absolutely love my job. I appreciate every single one of you that listens, that posts. Um, we've been putting in a ton of effort on the YouTube channel, so you can go and subscribe there. Uh, give us some likes, give us some comments, and uh, yeah, shoot me a message on Zagram, and uh, I'll do my best to get back to you. But uh, for now, enjoy this awesome chat with a really cool dude that I hope we can do some more stuff with in the future, Bernard Kerr. Gang and they come and get gang. Gang and they come and get gang. Gypsy gang. Gypsy gang. Gang and they come and get gang. Gang and they come and get gang. Gypsy gang. Gypsy gang. I'm at a gypsy. Record, record. Bernard Kerr, welcome to the Gypsy Tales podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Good, mate. Good. Keen for this one, actually. I've been a, um, I've been a bit of a, a Bernard Kerr. 
YouTube uh, fan guilty pleasure kind of guy for a while, actually. <laughs> That's funny to hear. It's definitely not the best channel, so. <laughs> nah, it's, you know what, That's I'll funny. be... I'll be fully honest with you. I didn't know how to take you for the longest time, eh? Like, I have to actually tell... But, but oh, the caveat is I think that's kind of what you want in the YouTube space. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of. We just feel what we do. It's it's shit, realistically, but it's, hopefully people like it and it's funny shit or just... I don't know. Maybe people are always sat there expecting something good to happen in the videos, but it never does. So, it's kind of funny. <laughs> we just film what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, it's... uh. I sort of just, I was like, man, what, like, who is this dude? What does he do? Like, I followed you off. I've actually followed you on Instagram for years because of Stoppy Sunday. And then I was like, no is, he, is he Moto, dude? Is he like, what, what the, what's fucking actually going on here? But, um, but then, <laughs> and then like, you, I'd sort of talked to a bunch of other people and they're like, yeah, I don't really know his deal. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Get you on and get you on and have a yarn. But yeah, when I, when I had Ed on the other funny. day. But I had Ed on the other day. He sort of filled me in on a bit of your backstory, and I was like, "No way, that's pretty sick." Some of the stuff that you've uh, that you've got going on. Yeah, I needed to listen to that. Win told me he was on, and I saw it, but I haven't actually had a chance to listen to his yet because we've been pretty busy. But I'm sure it'll be a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, man, I've I love both of those dudes, man. They're the uh, <laughs> yeah, they're the biggest legends, eh? Sure, funny guys. So you have been doing like you're the team manager for Pivot. You've run that team for ten years, which is a crazy sort of feat in itself, I guess. And then you're a moto rider and you're a YouTube dude. So you've got like a ton of stuff going on. And like <laughs> when I sort of, I guess when I did get a bit of the context of of your uh, your story and sort of the things that you do have going on, man. It's pretty impressive what you've been able to sort of achieve and like the level of value that you obviously provide to the to the sponsors that are around you. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but yeah, hopefully we're doing a good job and definitely a weird one with the team and everything. It's sick. Obviously, Eddie must have filled you on that. Having him on the team is so cool, but he's pretty hard work. I'm not going to lie, in a good way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but it's fun and yeah, I really think, I don't know, with the value thing you on there at the end, I feel like it's way easier when you run a team and you're involved with all the companies and yourself. You can see how to add value to yourself and them and like give them value in the team and what you're doing, not just, hey, I'm riding a bike. I'm good at it. Can I have some money? So <laughs> hopefully we do work well with them and see how we need to add value to them and help them. So where where did that, like, that's not the normal attitude for a uh, professional rider for the most part i think that things are starting to change like the more guys like yourself guys like win with win tv and the stuff that he's yeah. got going on i think people are i guess waking up a little bit more to what you kind of need to do to keep sponsors happy or to like get sponsors and become like this kind of undeniable presence in the industry like where did that come from in in you like how did that even because it seems like you've been ahead of the game on that in a big way yeah i don't know i think when yeah like you say he's started the wheelie wednesday thing so long ago i can even remember him in whistler telling me like hey i'm gonna do this wheelie wednesday thing do you want to do it with me and i was like oh i think i'm busy today or whatever but i don't know since before when i first got on pivot i tried to run my own video series then because i just really enjoy filming shit and i'm like oh this is so fun if we film what we're doing 
Like, I think if I take it way back, it's like Kevin and Perry. I used to watch Kevin and Perry go large and thought it was so rad how they had this like dad cam and wanted to film each other like going <laughs> on this crazy holiday doing shit. And I always just wanted to film stuff. And I knew the more you film, the more photos you take, like surely people are going to like, apart from that you're stoked on it, people are mm. going to appreciate it. Like, well, he's doing a good job for us. And if you just race, you can only do 10 races a year, but you've got every single day of the year to take a photo or do a video. And I don't know. Yeah, I think Wynn's been early on it and I've been lucky enough to see or maybe just enjoy some people. I enjoy creating content or going on Discover on Instagram and trying to find skateboarders doing something cool and be like, oh, that's so sick. I want to recreate that or steal their idea. And I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I really enjoy it, I guess. And you can see creating it. It's going to keep sponsors happy. It has to. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, enjoying it is probably the key because some dudes just don't care to do it right Dude, like they hate I, it they yeah. hate it yeah like i can't see a guy like aaron Gwynn going out and filming his own vlogs you know yeah true yeah vlogs or you know, whatever like me and Wim were saying sometimes on a stoppy video i'll get it first go sometimes i'm there for two hours doing a stoppy on a sunday <laughs> trying mm. to get the bloody thing but i know i'm gonna enjoy the outcome I'll be stoked with myself that I've done it, but yeah, some people aren't going to do that or some people aren't going to run around in muddy fields and shit cars and enjoy editing a YouTube video of it. Whereas I like, I'm lucky, I guess, that I enjoy it. I'm like, oh, that was such a fun day. Look how dumb we look or like, I can see we're having a good time. Hopefully people watch this video and see we're having a good time and then hopefully be like, well, the bike looks real good too. Maybe we'll buy a pivot. (laughs) Well, is there, I guess there's an element of, self-consciousness that you mustn't have or you're able to overcome because i mean for for me like we we do vlogs and stuff like that but it's pretty i guess like few and far between because i just i i'm self-conscious in that way you know i'm just like i just don't really i don't really want to fucking put myself out there like i feel like the podcast i've sort of said it before but the podcast i'm just sitting here talking like i can't do anything about the way i come across in this but in a vlog you know like (laughs) in a vlog you're editing yourself and and i don't know to me i've just been self-conscious about that kind of stuff but i will say that recently the more that we've been putting out like you can just see the stoke that people get from it and that has kind of made me a bit more stoked on doing it but i don't know like it seems like with you you don't have as much of that element of self-consciousness (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm glad that's the way it comes across, but we definitely do. The Stokes definitely rad when you like see people, people message you like so happy to watch. Honestly, what I think some such shit videos I put out, mm-hmm. but believe it or not, I tried to do my friend Ollie Wilkins were talking about it once. He's like, dude, just film yourself around the house, watch it back and you'll literally want to throw up at it or whatever. And like maybe a year or half a year before I ever first did one. I literally filmed myself in the morning walking around the garage talking what I was going to do, watched it back and was like, I cannot put that on the internet. I look like a fucking retard, you know? I was like, (laughs) I can't put that out. Like, so embarrassed. And then I can't remember one day at Mont St. Anne last year, I just filmed what we did that day. Like, I called it a lifestyle documentary because I was like, I thought vlogging was shit and it's super lame. And I was like, I don't want to be a vlogger. That's such shit. So I was like, I'm just going to call it a lifestyle documentary. I'm just going to film what we do today. And I filmed, I sat in the car. I filmed us cooking breakfast. I filmed us went to McDonald's the next day. And people liked them, I guess. And then with the whole A1 thing, I was like, well, we have to vlog this because it might be cool. It might be shit. So we just, don't know. But we filmed us like what we do. 
like sometimes we'll go out and make something up to film and be like right i'm bored today we've got this little motorbike let's just go film us try and jump it but yeah. a lot of time it's like right we're just going right and saying we're just going to film everything we do and if it's shit it's shit if there's good stuff that happens good stuff that happens but it honestly is like more of a lifestyle documentary of what we just do that day that i film yeah but so there was like a bit of an element that of i guess self-consciousness that you ended up having to Dude. overcome to do it or for sure even now this is real bad that i'm going to say this like on your podcast i don't watch a lot of them I edit them so quick and so badly. A lot of them, I won't watch the whole thing before it goes on because I hate listening to myself. And like what I'll say or do in some of them, I'm like, that's so embarrassing. Look at you. What are you doing, man? <laughs> so I'll just like skim through it on iMovie and I'll just skim over it, but won't even click play. And just be like, yeah, didn't do anything stupid. And just edit that next bit. Keep going, edit. Which makes it quicker and easier to edit and I don't have to watch it. <laughs> so yeah, definitely still a bit self-conscious about it yeah oh well uh, yeah no that's cool it's cool to know like yeah because i mean for for aaron i mean yeah you do it and you're just like fuck like what i don't really want to put this shit out you know but when people uh, do get stoked on it i guess don't it's... but that makes yeah you're so right when they get stoked on it you care way less and i think once you first get over youtube you're not cool mm. like you're not cool if you know what I mean, like you don't go on there and look at yourself and watch your video and be like, man, I'm cool. Like, as long yeah. as you're okay with not being cool, then you're kind of fine with it. You know what I mean? Like you've just got to be okay with not being cool. You're like, hey guys, today we're going to ride a bike and go over this jump. Like that's not cool, man. <laughs> as long as you're okay with not being cool, you can kind of be okay with it. Yeah, I guess that's where it gets like, I guess that's where it gets weird then is, is, I guess maybe that's where the judgment comes in because you're like, does this cunt think he's cooler than he fucking actually is? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Like if I walked down and saw Eddie in a mud field, being like, guys, so right now we're going to do a skid on this motorbike and let's see how it goes. I'm like, oh, what is Eddie doing? He looks like an idiot. <laughs> as long as you know you look like an idiot, I guess, you can get over it. You're like, I don't care. It's not cool, but hopefully it'll do sick. And one day we'll get some ad money off this. <laughs> Dude, uh, you know what was uh, a big turning point for me in uh, in your vlogs? The what? day what was the, it? <laughs> the day that I saw you wearing white Nike blazers at the track unloading your bike. <laughs> I was like, That's sick. <laughs> I was like, my fucking G. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> That's sick. I was thinking of some new ones earlier. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was kind of like, I was kind of a little bit devoured that you were getting them dirty, but I was like, fuck, I kind of appreciate a man that can get his get his blazers dirty. I always like say like, anything I have that's nice, I'll wear like at a bike place because what I do every day is biking or like when mm. I want to look best is at the track or on my bike. That's when I want to look cool. I like, want to wear my nice stuff. So I'm always going to wear it in probably bad conditions. That's why I've got it. So... Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> stoked not, on them, but yeah, they're gonna get wrecked. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not mad at. I'm not mad at that perspective. I kind of. I kind of try and like. Yeah, I like cool shoes and shit. So I like always rock up at the track Dude. looking like I'm about to go have a drink. That I'd sort of feel yeah. like I'm running the. But that same. is where you're having your drink. Yeah. Pretty much, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of wild. I don't know. Like, even if I had like, like a fancy watch or a, a nice whatever it is, I'd wear it every day or like going out riding because that's what I like doing. And that's when I probably want to look best. <laughs> yeah, no, that shit makes sense. I um, I had the I I from the outside looking in, I actually just thought you were some rich kid dude that 
was, you know, like <laughs> it's sponsored by his mum and dad and then was kind of living this dope lifestyle, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I got the impression that no, that's cool. what you were, that's sort of like where your lane was. But then talking to Eddie, um, he pretty much said like, nah, dude, like he's been doing this, 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 and this, this. this. And I, it gave me kind of like a new, um, I guess like appreciation for it. And it made me, you know, super interested to hear the story um, and then I was talking to Davey from Hook It Podcast and he said like, yeah, Bernard's been on the same brand for 10 years, has run that team the whole time. Um, so like what I guess was your, um, your, I guess, how did that sort of all happen to get to where you are now with it? Well, uh, definitely not rich. My mum went bankrupt trying to do this, basically, and help me out. So she's broke, <laughs> pretty much, bless her. Because my parents Apple. split up when I was younger. So she literally used to, like, marshal at the races for us. And then when I turned 17, she did the brand-new van. She was amazing when I first started driving. She bought, I don't know how she managed it. I think she, like, ran it through her business to like make sure I had a good vehicle to go racing to start with. But yeah, we didn't have a lot of money, that's for sure. Like I had a bike, actually I don't know if people know this story, I had a bike stolen once or two bikes stolen. She bet on a horse to uh, win my next bike. She was like, right, if I bet on this horse, cause she used to know some really good farriers cause she trained horses when she was younger. So if we bet on the horse and we win, we can buy you a new bike. If we lose, we'll eat beans on toast for a month, but like will the shop will survive that she ran and like we'll be fine. So, yeah, didn't have loads of money, but um, she killed it. She worked so, so hard. I can't even tell you how hard she worked and to make it happen, really, which is pretty cool. And then, yeah, after that, we like I was on a team, wasn't on a team, and then... So, wait, did like the horse win? Said, the horse won, dude. Yeah, the horse won. <laughs> no I can't remember. It was like 700 pounds. It wasn't even a lot of money or 900 pounds that we won to get a bike. And we had to buy a second-hand bike with the money. But, yeah, the horse won. It was like a farrier we used when we used to like my parents together, we had horses and we always used this farrier called Jerry and he like knew loads of racehorses and trainers and he was like, oh yeah, it's a really, it's a really good tip. Like you should bet on this horse. No way. So yeah. Yeah. And I bought, a, we bought a DMR with it, a used DMR, which is awesome, which I guess ties into everything because DMR import pivot in this country, like DMR bikes. And at yeah. the time, like I bought the secondhand bike with the horse racing money. Eventually that bike broke because it was so old. But they hooked me up with a new DMR and then year after I rode to some brands, Ollie Wilkins that rides for DMR, or did, was like, hey, we're bringing in a brand called Pivot. Like, do you want to try it? I was like, oh, I'm not sure. But anyway, he talked me into it. I rode for the UK distributor for two years. And then, I don't know, like I could, I had offers to go ride for like factory teams at the time. But I just really wanted to travel around in a van because that's what I'd been doing for two years or have many years was just going to races in a van, fucking around in between, going out, doing this, playing on bikes, playing on pit bikes. I knew if I went on a factory team, they'd be like, right, your flight is on Tuesday at 3 p.m. You leave on Sunday at 9 p.m. Yeah. You'll be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Like they set you a schedule, which is a cool structure. And some people need that and like want that. But I was like, man, I just want to have a van and like go around with my friends. So I emailed Pivot, like the owner, because I kind of had met him. I was like, hey, is there any chance like I could run a team for you? I heard the guy that runs it at the minute doesn't want to. And he said, oh, write me a proposal. And I did. I honestly, if I wrote the email, it's probably the worst email I've ever wrote. I'm not that good at grammar as it is now. And I remember I got like 26 grand the first year. And I was like, I'm going to be so rich. 
I was like, it's me, a mechanic, and another rider with $26,000. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to buy first. And we like <laughs> ran out of money. To, honestly, we ran out of man, money through the season. I had to get my mum to help at the end of the year because I was like, mum, we can't afford food. We're going to need some money of this team. No but, way. Yeah, that was it. That was, yeah. So I've been on pivot 10 years, but the team eight. Yeah. And just with like, I guess good friends and hopefully like people like Eddie that like the vibe of almost traveling in a van. I know we have a big truck now and a brand new van and like we stay in hotels, but it's still like the vibe of like, mm. what do you guys want to do next week? We've got a week off or we've got a day to go to here. Should we stop at a motorbike track on the way or something? Not just a team manager telling you you're going here on this day at this time to race your bike. Like, I don't know. We, I think we all need to have fun to do well. So yeah, it's progressed pretty good, really. I hope. Yeah, man, that that is so gnarly. So you do the you do the first year. What was the like? So the bikes were obviously pretty good from the jump, and then you guys like, what were the results like that first year? Yeah, the bikes are real good. There's a guy called Dave Weagle that does the linkage system for it. It's called a DW Link. It's super famous, and he does oh, it for yeah, a few bike companies. Yeah, yeah, so like, yeah. we knew it was going to be a good bike. And I can't remember what my best result was the first year, maybe 25th or top 20, but pretty good. I never used to train though. Like some riders are super like hardworking and they do well because of that. Some are talent based and do well because of that. And I guess I was like more of a talent based guy. I was like, oh, like cocky in a way, like, oh, I'm just good at riding bikes. I'll just ride my bike and do a bit of training. I'll be all right. And then that lasted, I guess, a little bit, but yeah, realized you had to maybe train a bit more and the components as well, I guess a bad thing starting out i can't remember if it was when i had the team or the year before i got three flat tires and snapped a chain in qualifying mm. like in four races like that happened and i was like how is this happening like how can i be so so bad like how can my luck be this bad but i realized like oh you can't just run like the cheapest rims if they're paying you you might have to take like a thousand dollars less and run a better rim company or whatever it is or i don't know like get more chains off a company even if you've got to buy five extra ones like chains are pretty important so mm. i don't know i guess we started doing well but i think chris the owner as well appreciated like we said before is the media i always wanted to do videos and photos so whatever i could do out of racing i didn't really feel like a chore back then like it was i started the team before we even had instagram but mm. i guess i would still do photos for facebook or pink bike articles or something so i don't know yeah i guess the first year kind of went well apart from like running out of money (laughs) um and so did you have any idea of how you were gonna run a team or did you have any kind of like i guess you said your mum was sort of in business but what was your plan like did you have any kind of actual plan dude zero when honestly when i look back there was zero plan it was like can i run the team dude for sure it was like can I run a team for you? Which basically meant, can I have some money to go racing? I'm just going to go like round in a van and put your stickers on it and put your logo on my jersey. I don't think I thought it through. My mum, thinking back, must have helped me like with the idea because we, me and my mum used to make, she made these like posters or like these big cards and we'd go to the bike show in the UK and they'd have mm. like all my photos on it, my best results, maybe what I planned to do and like my best photos and we'd walk around the bike show and hand those out to get sponsors. And we got Mazaki suspension back in the day and things like that. So I think I just copied like a proposal model maybe in my head. And then I didn't think about a business thing at all of it or a plan or like 
dude, even to now, I've just scaled up the things. Like we worked out like then we heard of Interbike. And I was like, right, I need to go to this Interbike thing. It's a bike show. Mm. It's the same as what me and my mum did, I guess. Go around, meet people and be like, right, we need X amount of dollars for tires, X amount for suspension. And I did that from the age of, I don't know how old was I when I first went there. I was maybe 20 years old or 21. I think I was 20 when I first went to Interbike. And then I went like probably every year for the next six years, I'd like fly out there on my own or like meet someone there or like Elliot Jackson, my old teammate. And then we'd either drive from LA to there or I'd just fly straight to Vegas for like, honestly, for like three or four days at a time, I'd fly there just for Interbike because I knew that's what you had to do. I just heard on the grapevine, you did deals at Interbike, fly to Interbike. Mm talk through his bike companies, tell them all your results, sit down in a meeting room, be like, this is how many dollars we need. And yeah, kind of look back at it now, it's kind of funny to like fly out there and be like, hey guys, can we get some money for the team? Like, we're doing good or we're trying to get this rider, so we're going to need this or here's all our videos, here's our stats. But yeah, there wasn't really much business thought behind it, if I'm honest. It was just, I want to have fun. Can you give me money to go race my bike? I'll promote you as best as I can. <laughs> That's so sick, man. And so... Where, like, how much did it scale year on year? Quite a bit, I guess. It, like, kind of started average, I think. And then we went from two riders to three. I can't remember what year that even was. So, we went, like, we had me and Bubba Warren. I think it went from maybe the second year straight away we had three riders. Dude, I can't even remember. It was me, Elliot Jackson, and Michaela, which was so cool. Like, we traveled around... I'm trying to think if there was someone else in between this. I'm being terrible at my memory right now. <laughs> but it scaled up to three pretty quick, and then it stayed there for a while. Then it went to four, and now we're on five. But it's honestly almost an accident each time. Yeah, right. You're just like, oh, this person's good. We need them. And then I'm like, shit, we need to get funding for them because I just want either a friend or someone I know is going to do good. Mm. Like everyone we've got on the team ever has done their best results. Like, every single rider has done the best they've ever done on our team like normally in their first year of it. So it's like a proven, it looks like a wacky team from the outside and like we don't take it seriously, but we really do take the racing part and the training part seriously now. Like now we do. I didn't know <laughs> the first few years. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how it's scaled up. It's just, as I've learned more maybe, like, well, this is a business and we need to treat yeah. it better. Yeah. And I realized like the truck thing, like now we have a big truck, the bigger presence you have, it looks better you look more impressive so you can charge more, I guess, because if sponsors come to the race, you've got this massive branding instead of just a small sprinter with a tent off the side. You've got this huge branding. You look legit. You are legit. And you probably race better as well. So I realized that pretty soon. And that was a... I haven't had many goals with the team, but the truck was a goal at one point. I was like, right, we've got to get a truck and it will be cooler, you mm -hmm. know, and it will be like more legit. So that kind of happened. But everything else is just like, fallen into place or I've done better results or the team's done better results. So we've been able to like upscale, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it just happened. When was the, when was your first, like, or how long did it take to get some like real results, like podiums or whatever? Podiums took so long. I got a ninth place on the, t when I was on pivot running the team in Norway, I got ninth and was like, Whoa, I got a top 10 at world cup. That's pretty gnarly. That is hectic. Like, which I was so, yeah, I was like so stoked in that. And after I got that top 10, I was like, I think that's when I was like, whoa, I could actually do quite good at this. <laughs> and that was still like, I guess a part of 
it as well. I never used to know how to set up a bike. It was me and my mum going to races. And I re- never really realized it was that important. I was just like, right, I just want a bike that's fun to ride. And didn't really realize about suspension setup or tire pressures for honestly the longest time until way more recently than people would even realize. Way more. Re- I would just like try and hear eventually around the pits what a tire pressure was, but probably too shy or nervous to ask what a tire pressure was. Yeah. But when I started learning all that, like you could actually set up a bike really good. Started doing good. And then 2016, I got my first podium. But how old was I then? 26 years old? 25? 25 years old, maybe, for my first ever podium, which is really old, you know? Yeah, it's kind of late, huh? Yeah, and like mountain biking and motocross, they come out of juniors, they turn Mm. 18 or they come out of 250s. You probably get a podium next year. If you're ever going to do it, you normally get one in your first few years in the league, you know, like 18, 19, 20. Yeah. But it took me a long, a long, long time, I think, because I didn't know how to set up a bike didn't have any guidance i don't know we were just hacking away at it hoping for the best really <laughs> and just being like hopefully this works out one day which is what, kind of funny what was your first um experience like actually setting up suspension and setting a bike up like how did that end up happening uh we were with x fusion they were just like oh let's try different spring rates or here's this or i think we had real thin oil at the start and that was the first time i really felt like oh the oil's thin it was like heating up so the rebound would go real quick yeah like you had no rebound it was just so fast and before that i'd never really thought hey i need to make my suspension good if it was good it was just good you know yeah like i don't know like it was just fine i honestly can't remember really ever like ever my whole life setting up suspension until i maybe we did on my first pivots like someone would just set it up when i got it that day and that'd be it I can't remember. I remember I got serviced out of RockShox Fork before I was once by Xfusion. It got serviced at a World Cup. Got serviced at Valdesol World Cup um, on like the race week. Someone was like, oh, we'll service that for you at Shran. They were really friendly at the time. And I came 12th maybe, or 13th <laughs> at the World Cup. And that was my, that was probably my first top 15 ever. And I was like, whoa, I got my suspension serviced and look how good I did. So that was kind of like a bit of like a war moment. And then the next time was probably when we were on X Fusion and I noticed it speeding up. I was like, what is going wrong with the bike? But yeah, that would have been, I must have been 21 or something years old before I really thought, well, we need to look at how to do a suspension. I'd honestly never thought about it, which seems yeah, crazy. That's... But my mum, bless her, she wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's so funny. Uh, one, of my, one of my best mates to this day um, is Jay reinenberg that used to own the jdr ktm team in america that like malcolm rode for and uh he he got into racing just because his friends in school were into it and his dad used to be like a ski boat dude like he used to race um water skis and like they went to the track and his first ever race he saw um he saw one of the good dudes, like his dad was like sharpening his foot pegs with a file. So his, they had no idea about like tire pressures or anything like that. And then Derek, his dad was like, oh, I guess I better get a file and sharpen the foot pegs. And so like, <laughs> That's so sick. Yeah, that was like the only thing they knew. And then they ended up owning a factory team. Dude, that's so rad from sharpening foot pegs to that. That's probably kind of slightly like this, just, honestly no idea like i can't remember ever like really setting up tire pressures from when i started until we probably 
20 years old. I honestly can't remember. I was on a team with a, a lady called Fiona Griffiths for like one year. Oh, yeah. And we had a mechanic on that, and she must have set the pressures or the mechanic must have, but I don't remember it. Like, I honestly don't remember setting tire pressures or anything, which is crazy now I think back. But I think a lot of kids don't know what to run. Even net kids now that we'll talk to or like, we help out, they'll be like, oh, I'm running this. And we're like, dude, you should probably drop those PSIs down a bit, you know? But like, how would they know? Like, their parents yeah. probably don't know about high-end mountain biking. Like, it's quite new, really. And yeah, you're and- so into it to know what's good. Yeah, and you don't know what you don't know. It's super hard to find out the things that you should know. Dude, super hard. Like, where is it? And, like, if your parents, it's probably real embarrassing or, like, hard to just walk into a factory team up to 10, like, hey, by the way, my son is racing now. What tire pressures do you have? Yeah. You know, like, it's hard for a parent just to go and ask that. And I guess, like us, we never just went and asked, what do you, from memory, what do you do? <laughs> like, you just hope they have to make friends and ask them. And so, weird. and so like when, uh, when did it become like a real, I guess like viable thing for you to be like, Oh fuck, I'm running like a legit business here. I don't know. I can't remember the first time I was out of my overdraft. I want to say it was like four or five years ago. Out, like, out of your overdraft. Like not minus money, you know, like when your bank account's below zero. Yeah. Right. Like I live the first at least probably four or five years, four years of the team, five years of the team at the end of the season, every year being zeroed out at best. But like, it honestly wasn't a thought because I was having so much fun. All I wanted to do was travel around in my van. Yeah. Your money was just kind of coming in and then out. Like you'd get a big payment in May, let's say from your suspension sponsor. You're like, yo, I've got 15 grand in there. You'd burn through that. And at the end of the season, if I was out, I honestly wouldn't really think about it. I'd just be waiting until the next payment came in January. Mm. and then you'd be going again but i don't know how long it's been viable now because i moved out of my mum's house three years ago i don't spend two and a half years at the other house three maybe three years ago i moved out of her house that's like, kind of normal in england especially if you're doing a sport like people here it's so expensive to live you move out yeah. when you're older if you lived at home too you're 27 28 it's, that's kind of usual in the uk but i moved out yeah because you guys, Three where, where ago, do you guys live? It's kind of like an expensive area, We live like area, an right? hour from London. Yeah, it's a place called Surrey. Yeah, yeah. And it's like one of the most, if not the most expensive area in like the country. Yeah. So it's stupid, dude. It's such a rip off. I don't know why we live here. But oh, now yeah. all your friends live here. You kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think I moved out three years ago. My rent was £1,400 a month when I moved out. Fuck. So I think that's probably, it's almost double in Aussie. Mm. Maybe like 2500 Aussie or something a month yeah then plus your like bills obviously like your power water and everything yeah that was only three years ago i could afford to do that to live out at home really because i'd go to new zealand and live there obviously but it's that's so, what i thought you were rent there i thought you actually were a kiwi for the longest time like when Loads i was of fo- people said that <laughs> yeah like when i was following the whole like stoppy sunday deal i actually thought you were a kiwi that's funny. Well, I used to have a Kiwi girlfriend and I'd go to New Zealand for like three or four months every year. Yeah. Like the first year I ran the team, that was the first year I went to New Zealand. And I like worked it out that if I went there, by the time I'd paid for the flight, it was cheaper to, honestly cheaper to live there. I'd pay $50 a week rent, so £25 a week rent. And then like everything else was cheap as well and you just cook food. So whereas in England, I just have to live at home and then still everything's twice as expensive and you've got to drive through everything. 
But yeah, what was the year I moved out? I won King of Crankworks, which at the time was it was twenty five thousand dollars. Wow, winning like the overall. Uh, it was like between like three Crankworks stops and Worcester. I won like the overall point series or whatever. But you got twenty five thousand Canadian dollars. Yeah, and then the speed and style overall, and that was like. I think I got like $30,000 prize money that week, which was, at the time was like, mo- I knew it was coming though. So that was bad. Like I knew I had it <laughs> in the bag. I was like, right, I've just got to do this, 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 this. Like I was so close to not basically in the last race that week, I had to get 10th or better. And I got 10th in the race and win wow. was behind me by points, 0.6 of a second in Canada. So I only made the 25 grand by 0.6 of a second. But That's I don't know why hectic. I was so confident that I was going to do it. <laughs> but even that year, I think after I bought like a $2,000 car, because I only had a van at the time, all I had was the team van, the like long wheelbase Sprinter, which is my everyday car because that was the only one I had. Which is a fucker, man. Um, dude, so like a high roof, long wheelbase van. That's my only car. Like if you want to go to town, so it's like, right, I'm going to buy a car if I win this. And I bought this like soft, like, you know what a Willys Jeep is? Mm, no. Nah. Like an old school. They're like from the, the army, the American Willys Jeep. Oh, yeah, yeah, They're yeah. like yeah. soft top. Like, yeah. I bought a replica of that because I couldn't afford a real one for two grand. <laughs> but that was what I bought with the money. And then after that, I got a new motocross bike. I bought my first ever brand new motocross bike from like the year before. So it was cheaper. And then I really only had money to live on for the winter. Like that was the money gone because we didn't really have any left over from the team. And that was 2015. So 2016 was the first real year that I like made money from it, I think. Mm. Because the only money I made in 15 really was from winning $30,000 in a week. <laughs> Otherwise, I really hadn't made much. So yeah, 2016 was the real first year. It was probably viable. And then like, so... Make any so- sort of money. So what changed in 2016 then for it to, is it just this kind of process of it compounding and compounding and compounding to the point where it actually. I think, yeah, like winning the King of Crankworks, you made loads of money and you've won this big thing. So your sponsor's like, whoa, this guy's actually doing good now. And not just in downhill, I was doing good in like dual slalom and doing whips and like, I'd learned to whip more, which I think you'll see a motocross with Tyler and Behrman and everyone like, whips are cool whips get you coverage whips make you money it's, there's no arguing it you know like companies do see it and they get amazing exposure from it so i think i kind of worked out in my head whether it was fun or i just maybe thought right if i do some more whips this could work out for me i don't know what but, was the process um, of like learning to whip a mountain bike no no idea people ask me that all the time i never even thought about it i just did it always just when we rode dirt jumps at this field i could always do a whip on a like dirt jump bike like i could always go 90 degrees pretty much or just under since i was 14 years old no idea how or why just did it so yeah even now if someone asks me how to do it i try and tell them i'll watch a video of me doing it and it doesn't look anything like it feels Mm. like not even close i'm like i'm like stood up like turning off the lip and it feels like i'm like sat down squatting and sliding or whatever it is it feels like i'm doing different to it looks so i don't know but yeah compounding of like whips and getting better results finally you could ask for more money pivot like the owner like they were such a young brand when i started there they're only two years old i grew with them Mm. and he really trusted me somehow and appreciate i was like right we were on 
let's say five dollars now i need 10 we we're on 10 now i need 15 we're on 15 now i need 20 and he upped it as i got better he like matched it and was like yeah you deserve more money here's more money and then the other companies as well so i've been lucky that a lot of people have believed in me or have been like well you did deliver on that not promise but we gave you more money the team did better if we give you more hopefully you'll do better again and represent us so yeah i don't know compounding of fun and exposure yeah i mean that that is pretty cool too the the fact that like you said you kind of grew with the company like not a lot of people are prepared to initially take not like take a hit but you know you sort of can like you said you could have gone and rode for a factory team but you start at the ground floor and then you make yourself like to go back to win again you know like with win and gt like you sort of think gt you think win and that's so valuable to do as a writer to like ingrain yourself in a company and i feel like it's the same thing with pivot like if you went to a different brand or if they lost you to somebody else like that's a big part of their brand identity and that's become like this genuine thing that you've built for yourself over time yeah the 100 percent, like you say with winning gt and i couldn't be luckier because i didn't really think about it at the time honestly like i rode for the uk guys like i said when i started with the uk people pivot were two years old so I was only skeptical because of the company because I'd never heard of it. But as soon as they wanted to give me a chance, I didn't really have anything else at the time. So I was like, yeah, this is sick. And I ne- honestly never thought it was like building something with the brand, not in a good way or a bad way. I like wasn't selfless, selfless enough to yeah, think, yeah. Oh, I want to build something with them. It honestly just kept going. And the guy, like the owner, he's super interesting guy because he's so smart. Like he's super engineeringly minded as well as like a businessman and everything, you know. So sometimes you're like, shit, does he hate me? Does he like me? I've thought that so much over the years. And now I know, <laughs> like, obviously, hopefully we get on pretty well because, like, I can text the owner of a bike company, you know, how valuable that is. Like, a lot of people that ride for these big companies can't just text the owner of Giant and be like, hey, by the way, like, I was just wondering if we've got this or is this color coming out or whatever it is. I can text the owner of the company, which is, I feel so lucky. And everyone there, like, the staff that I, deal with are so cool because a lot of them have been there a while but when i started i don't know how many staff were there honestly 10 15 staff yeah 10 maybe honestly not even 15 now there's 70 odd well wow. 70 or 80 i think at the office yeah. yeah so when i started there was no one there so i think i'm just lucky well i am like i'm super lucky i fell on it when i did and they were young and they made awesome bikes and we've grown together but yeah i really appreciate that and hopefully they do that i'm still there and I think it works like well it, it looks like it works we've got people like eddie and stuff on board that trust that hopefully i run a good enough program for them to do well and the bikes are undeniable like you could whoever it is can get an offer sometimes to ride for twice the money for a company with um like a bad bike just because it's uncool and they'll pay you more but i'm lucky that we get paid pretty well and the bike company literally if i went and bought a bike i would buy a pivot <laughs> like they're as nice as you're gonna get you know they're up to like a ten thousand dollar bike you can't really get a nicer bike so we're pretty lucky with that that's so interesting what you say about being able to text the owner of the company man like fuck that is insanely valuable dude like like honestly crazy or even like when i'm super hyped like eddie and the enduro team killed it at that and i was so hyped that i could text him and be like dude you won the team overall like enduro world champions like your bike brand has won that which is like, even that's so valuable. I feel like like I was so stoked and got to tell him that. Mm. Whereas like, 
some other companies, you're passing that through five people, you know, and you don't feel his excitement back, which yeah. then fuels you want to do better or like, yeah, even things like that. It's awesome. So yeah, so, so lucky. And like he's the staff he surrounds himself with obviously are really good, which is why he's got a successful company. But yeah, dealing with them and him or they'll ask, I guess, hopefully they know I want to help. They'll ask input from me on like, hey, we think these riders are cool. What do you think? Or stuff like that. Or like, hey, we're thinking of doing this. What do you think? And Or I'll be like, hey, can we do this? What do you guys think? So yeah, now the, the brand and building with them has been awesome. Have you had any kind of like big input on the bike itself over the years or like different products that they've released? yeah definitely they always ask us like hey what do you think of this or we're gonna send you this bike like the first version of our new downhill bike they sent me a metal one for ages before they made carbon and we were like this is good bad hey we snapped a shock like this should not happen we mm. really need to address this before you sell this so yeah we do have input but a lot of the stuff they do they he knows what he's doing we'll just get the bike and we'll do better like if a new one comes out and we haven't tested it we're still like literally every bike they've sent us, even if we haven't put too much into it, we've done better at the next race than it, like an enduro bike or something. She's like, well, you can't really argue with them. They know what they're doing. Yeah, dude. That, yeah, that's super cool, man. So you got, so you run the enduro program as well. As well board. as a downhill. Yeah. Yeah, right. That was basically because Eddie had his team that he ran for a different bike company. And then that was coming to an end. He was looking for a ride and pivot asked me like hey we want to like make our enduro team better like do you know any riders we could put on it that's better and i said to them i was like hey why don't i just run it as well i know some riders not being sneaky but i was kind of like i knew before they'd even said as soon as they said that i was like i know who we're getting I yeah was like, right eddie <laughs> you, we need to have a meeting like it was in switzerland like i even remember i had the meeting i got him in the sprinter at the time i had i was like right what do you want um i'm trying to get pivot to run an enduro team through me i think we can make it sick you'll race down or two same day, 10 minutes later, his mechanic comes into the van. I have a meeting with him, like, right, if Eddie gets rid of his team, do you want to come on board? He seems keen, you seem keen, right, done deal. And then I said to Pivot, right, I'll run your enduro team, these are your riders. And everything, I haven't had to convince them, but I guess I have. I have to sell it to the owner and the people, like, 50, whatever it is. But this is why I need it. This is what we're going to get. I promise it's going to be good, and I promise it's going to work out. You trusted me before, it worked please trust me again i know i'm a child but <laughs> this is who we're gonna get i know he hasn't had great uh, enduros before but he was on a bergman it's a shit bike we put him on a pivot he's gonna do good everyone we've ever put on the team has done the best they've ever done so <laughs> it's kind of like proven itself which is cool that they have trusted it and we've backed it up but yeah i'm waiting for that day where we get someone on board and they don't but <laughs> hopefully it keeps going in the right direction but yeah we have the enduro thing now with eddie so he kills it yeah, and is that, like, I guess it sort of just adds to the fun of it, right? Because it's not like you guys are just doing, you know, the just the downhill series and then you got this big off-season or whatever. It's like you guys kind of get to do more shit together. Yeah, I think it's rad, especially for the boys like Matt and Eddie that come from New Zealand. They come over for so long. I don't know how they do it, like all the way to Europe, and just leave home. I think it fills the weeks up a bit more. If they're away for four months and they do six races, they'll get so bored. Mm. so they might do, come away for four months and do 14 races now so maybe it's a bit hectic at times and too many races but i think it makes it better for them and normally the enduros go to cooler places the downhill kind of now just goes to the same place on the same weekend each year 
so that's a bit stale but the enduro switches it up so i don't know i think it keeps it fresh for them and makes them train that's for sure they're fit i did three this year and i hated them <laughs> <laughs> they like doing them the places are cool and the events are rad but yeah i don't really like racing them personally do you think um now. i reckon that once they start well i mean i don't know i don't know too much about the mountain bike thing so i if there's already shit going on. But I think like the the whole e-bike thing on Enduros would be pretty sick. Like, can you imagine the kind of ground you could cover if you raced Enduros on e-bikes? And it was like all the good dudes were doing it. Yeah, it would be sick if they do it well, but they did start it this year. I don't want to bag on the EWS, but they put the shittest tracks in, dude. Like the oh, worst really? tracks you could ever do. So it just makes it crap. That's why the Enduro was tracks are shit. And the same with the e-bike. They put like uphill stages in up like janky rocks that don't flow. So you're like breathing out your ass, pedaling up these like shit rock sections into a five minute shit downhill on your e-bike. So, cause that's what everyone's asked me. Are you going to do it? I'm like, dude, I love e-bikes. I think e-bikes are rad. They get people out riding. They handle unreal. Like, yeah, for sure I would do one, but they put them up shit tracks, man. So I don't know. They need to work that out before it's going to get good, but it has potential. Yeah, I think that, yeah, the potential of it, if they do a good job, man, like that would be so much fun to race. Like even for... So fun. For like moto dudes too, you know, like I love, I love mountain biking, but I've pretty much stopped mountain biking nowadays because I got motocross and I got jiu-jitsu and my jiu-jitsu is my training that I do through the week and then I do ride motocross on the weekend and like I don't have any spare like body left like my body's completely fucking roached <laughs> at the end of every single week but e-bikes man like if i had an e-bike dude i'd be fucking on that shit constantly because it's not as taxing you're behind bars you're all the skills that you're working uh are there and i think they handle better than a, a normal mountain bike i think and a little bit closer to like a moto so man like i could see myself even signing up for some e-bike enduros if they yeah, if they were pretty sick. Yeah, I think they're rad. Like you say, they handle so good. Like they're so planted yeah. in the ground, for, especially if you're kind of a motor. It's not so skittery and like loose. So they ride unreal. You are still getting a workout, but you're not killing yourself up a hill. So I think they're honestly one of the best inventions and best things to come to mountain bikes. I know a lot of purists might hate me for that. And I know Americans definitely hate them more than Europeans right now and are taking longer to come around. But. I think people will see they're an unreal bit of kit. They ride amazing and they just get more people out there. So I think anything that puts more people on bikes is rad. And they're awesome, dude. If you had a, if you had one, you would ride it so much more than you think. I guarantee it. You oh, like dude. buzz down the street and you smile. Like they're so sick. Yeah. Well, my, my parents, so like this speaks to exactly what you just said. So like my parents both have uh, e-bikes and like they're both in their fifties and then they ride to the trails even. Like the trails are only five minutes from my parents' house. So they can ride to Sick. the trails. Zero, you know, they're not really breaking a sweat to even get in there. And then if I took my dad on a ride on like a naturally aspirated bike, if we did like 12Ks, he'd be pretty fucking cooked. But he can go <laughs> and hit like every single descent in the trail network on the e-bike. And he's as cooked as if he just did two. But he's still getting the yeah, work dude, out, it's you know? Yeah, dude, it's the same. It's so sick. Like, I've been out with my mum. Like, we got her a Pivot one as well. 
Sick. And um, like I can I can go out for a ride with her, and I'll ride an e bike on eco. She'll ride it on turbo, and yeah. we're honestly the same speed. She might be a little bit quicker then, because like turbo is so much help uphill. But then she can ride really easy trails, or like even medium trails. She's like not bad, which is pretty cool. And we go on an hour, two hour ride together, which she would never ever manage on a normal bike. But now she's out riding like bikes, which is awesome. Like just like having fun riding down trails that otherwise she'd be like, I can't be bothered to ride up there, man. It's going to take me an hour to get to the top and I get one descent. Mm. Whereas now she can do five descents in an hour, you know, and like cruise around the woods. Like she'll ride to the horses just through some forests to get there now, like where she like helps my sister. Yeah. And otherwise she'd just drive 20 minutes, but she's like, oh, I'll just ride 40 minutes each way. And that'll be my ride for the day. So I, I'm a big, big fan of e-bikes. I think they're rad. Man, it's so cool too that your mum can get some like, actual physical enjoyment out of mountain biking because it sounds like she had to sacrifice a lot for you to mountain bike dude yeah so much time and effort like yeah feel bad of it now but we got her an e-bike and got her a present so <laughs> she's stoked in that but yeah she sacrificed a lot of time and effort probably put a few took a few years off her life i mean with the stress she went through for it but yeah she loves the e-bike now it's sick and yeah she can't get on it enough really hopefully she gets some more spare time soon did you did you have perspective when you were younger of like how much effort your mum did have to put into like getting your career off the ground? I did for sure and didn't. Now I look back, I like really appreciated some things, I think, or like appreciated a lot of it. And then I think, dude, just as you're a dumb teenager, you get older. Like, you know, like you do stupid shit. I remember this one race, like, did I have a house party or someone else? We were like 16 or 17. And my mum was going to have to marshal the next day. And I think about she's we couldn't really afford the race entry. So she marshaled at the race. She became chief marshal in the end because she's quite bossy. She's like, right, you go there, you go there, whatever. <laughs> she would marshal. You get free race entry if you marshal. But if you're chief marshal, you get free race entry and pay like £100 a day. She'd yeah. like literally run the show and sort out all the other marshals, make sure they had their flags, what they were doing. So she would do that. And I remember this one time, now I look back. Like, I went out the night before or something because I was, like, 17 or something. I was like, I'm the man. This is the man, I don't care what I want. And I remember how unimpressed she was because she's doing all this effort the next day. And I'm just, like, asleep literally at the track. Like, at this race. It was a national race. But I, like, won every race that day, which is bad, I know, because then you, like, don't really learn. But I did really think about it afterwards because I remember thinking, like, I was the man. Like, I've won every race. I've won a national race today and I didn't even sleep last night. But she was still mad at me. And I thought about it after. I was like, yeah, you're a dick. Like, she's putting in more effort than you today just because you're good. But she's still putting more effort in. So I think I started to, like, appreciate it more and be like, oh, do you like, I don't know, appreciate what she was actually doing. <laughs> like, not just that I had to do good, but, like, she's putting in effort, so I need to put effort in. Mm. And especially now, like, she's still, like, pumped on it. And she's, like, not mad at me if I'm slacking, but she's like, look, I want you to do good for you. Just do good for you and try hard. So... <laughs> Yeah, appreciate it now when I think of it a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the real curse of talent, right? Because, I mean, you, you watch you ride on a bike, even on a moto, dude. Like, you've got fucking sick style. Like, some guys are just born with style on a bike, and you're one of those guys. But the downside <laughs> of that is that a lot of times those guys are fuckwits. <laughs> Dude, yeah, for sure. I was like you said, I was a fuck with that night. Like it didn't matter that I won. I think she was mad probably because she's putting an effort all day, dude, running around the forest, 
trying to organize people and I'm just sitting there like a useless piece of shit in a chair. Like it didn't matter that one. I think, yeah, she was still just mad. Like, what are you doing, man? Put some bloody effort and I am. So you're right. It's you do some dumb shit. <laughs> you see it in every sport. Oh yeah. A hundred percent, man. Like I've, I've worked with guys in, in motocross where they're just so fucking good and they just don't give a fuck because it just comes so easy to them, you know? And I think like the average punter, like myself, I ain't a super talented <laughs> rider on a bike, you know? And you always look at those guys and you're just like, fuck man, like I'd kill for what you have. But, but then you can't, I guess you sort of, you can't really have one without the other, you know? Like if I could sit here and say like, oh, I'd kill to have that talent. But if you were born with it and you never knew any other way, then you, you can't help but well, you couldn't help but be the way that those guys are, you know? Everyone, the, those talented yeah. dudes are kind of like that for a reason. They just don't know any other way. <laughs> it's weird. Like with whips, you're like, I see people try and whip so much. And not that I'm the best guy at whips in the world, but I don't, I've never had to try or think about it. They just, they just come. And yeah, maybe if I actually put more work in, I'd be way better at them. So it's a hard one. But I think like with growing up and maturity, it takes longer than you think, dude. When you're 18, you think you know everything, but mm -hmm. you've really learned now. And even like recently, I'm like, I need to train, dude. And I need to like focus and try hard if I want to do good at this. And I don't want to race for too many more years if I'm honest. Like I've loved it, but I've been racing World Cups now pretty much since I was like 16. And what am I now? Like thirty? I'm twenty nine, thirty next year. I've done like thirteen or fourteen World Cup seasons, which is a shit ton, mm. dude. Pretty much the same places most year on the same weekend each year. People are like you travel so much. I'm like, no, I go to Scotland on this weekend every year. I go to Austria on this weekend every year. It's the same shitty town. Or some of them are cool towns, some of them aren't. But um, yeah, I don't want to race for too many more years, so I really need to pull my finger out. And really try like when you watch some of those moto documentaries of Villapoto, yeah he does good some years but the years he tries and focuses they do better even for the most talented dudes they suddenly pull their finger out because there's guys out there that aren't the most talented but are working so so much harder which yeah. is crazy when you see that so well dude like the you you gotta look at stewie man like he's the most talented guy probably ever right the year he went 24 and 0 alden baker yeah, it's it's literally proven, yeah. It doesn't matter if he's the most talented before. You're not going to do that. You train and you're the most talented, you just beat everyone. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just mature enough to bloody realize that. It's hard work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, the guys that ultimately really, really leave the sport in a crazy place, like, I mean, to talk mountain bikes, a guy like Loic, man, that motherfucker is so talented, like insanely talented. Dude. Also works his ass off. Dude, works his Like, he is insanely talented, but I wouldn't say he's the most insanely talented. But I reckon, like you say, he works so much harder than 99.9% .9 of people. Like, I think he works so, so, so hard, which is, I think, his talent almost more than his mm. bike riding. Like, if you went to some jumps with him, he's not the best guy on jumps, dude. Like yeah. watch him ride through dirt jumps. It's like how he's like, like he's so fucking good on the bike. How can't he ride through those jumps or how can't he do a whip? But I guess his talent is racecraft and training hard. Yeah, uh, well, obviously like, he's really good on the bike, but yeah, he's just works so goddamn hard. It's insane. Well, man, like dude, perfect example. I did a shoot one time with Roxon and Dungey out in Glamis in the sand dunes. 
And yeah, you'd look at Dunge and you're like, how the fuck is this dude a three-time Supercross champion? Like he just <laughs> he looked he looked like not not a fucking a goon, but like you Kenny was out there and Ken was just like the dudes at Fox who were shooting for Fox are just like, Ken, no, come here, come here. Like, they're full tripping on Kenny because he's just like, oh, I'm yeah. going to go jump that. Fourth gear just fucking sends this shit. <laughs> and he's just doing, like, these huge whips and Dunge is just, like, straight airing everything. And it's like, Dunge probably beat Ken in every race that year. Yeah. Dude, that's, like, look, honestly, he is really talented. Like, you have to be really talented. But I think he just works a lot harder than most people and trains and does way more time practice runs, way more data set up on his bike. But yeah, if you went down a track blind with Loic or jumps, he's definitely not going to be the best rider there, mm. which is super weird. So yeah, same kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, is that for 2021, like, are you going to really try and focus in on that style of thing or is it just not your style, I guess? I don't know. We do like to have, if I'm not having fun, I'm not going to do good. I'm genuinely yeah. not going to do good. So I need to have fun. But a couple of years ago when I started like being top 10, almost at every race, like I'd qualify top 10, I would come fifth. I'd qualify top 10. I'd come at eight. I really focused that year. I had such a good off season in New Zealand. I didn't get hurt because I get hurt in the off season because we have too much fun. Yeah. And like, it was real good year. So I think I've honestly got maybe one or two years left racing. in me, max, like Matt, like if I'd won world champ, this year i was done i was gonna retire that day i said to myself my mom everyone i was like i honestly went to world champs to win i was like i'm just gonna try and win this and i'm retiring which i did i got fifth dude i was like one second off top three or 0.9 off top three but then i got smoked the winner beat me by seven seconds but like i knew i had it i don't know why going into that race i was like it's gonna be rain it's gonna be shit if i put the run of my life together i could win this week and for like a month leading up i was like i'm retiring if i win like I'm going like the plan is to do, win, I want to win a world cup or world champs and, and then be done like racing. But I think I love riding bikes and riding Z fifties around my garden and all the other shit more. And hopefully my sponsors value me running the team enough, finding cool new riders and up and coming kids and doing cool stoppy content and stuff that I don't need to race forever. So mm. I'm pretty hyped to like do that, but I do want to win dudes. So yeah. 2021. Like we're going to go train so hard. My mum's like, already motivated because she knows i wanted to be better at worlds than i did so like i was gutted to get so mad with the fifth place in the world like i was really pissed off i was trying to be happy about it but i was pissed so she's like right well if you're pissed at that she's like, i was real sad you're upset you need to try and do better next year so yeah even though we can't travel and maybe there won't be a race season but it's looking like there will be race seasons now we just have to hope the world stays kind of normalish as it is right now as normal as whatever this is normal and then yeah i'm gonna train real hard for next year do like a full if i'm gonna do it dude i haven't got long left let's just go out trying as hard as we can try <laughs> yeah and so you 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 think that you'd still like the team's established it's not like when you retired you you'd lose the team you know like you'd still be able to keep running that that factory team full pivot I mean, hopefully they'll let me. I hope they will. <laughs> I really enjoy the team side of things. And like at races, I probably get more nervous watching Eddie or Morgan yeah. or Matt come down or Emily. I get so nervous watching them, like more nervous than probably I am at the start of my run. And I think that's kind of cool. Like I'm hyped on it and I think they appreciate it. Like I put a lot of time in on the FCs and making sure we have a truck, 
making sure we have a van, sending invoices to people so we have money to pay for flights or doing order forms for all the bikes get here. Like we put so much time in the off season between me and all of our sponsors. Cause like I talked to Mary at the office, Rachel at the office, like we'll speak on the phone at the minute for maybe an hour, two hours a week, or even more some weeks, you know, I think all that work is real cool when you get to a race and you see everything come together and Eddie dial that run in like having it's like pretty rewarding really and even just seeing the tent in the pits and when we did have fans at races it's cool like how buzzed people get I used to think we were super selfish like we'd travel around the world we'd spend all this money ruin the environment just so we could have fun at a weekend but when you actually see how much enjoyment that brings thousands of other people or like mm. inspires kids to ride or whatever like it's not quite as selfish as I thought like kids get buzzed old dudes at home get buzzed to go out and ride on a Sunday after or whatever like it is pretty cool so I think running the team's rad for that like you're running this thing that hopefully gets people hyped to ride and race and yeah I enjoy it and trying to find new people like there's this kid we help in the New Zealand a minute called Sam Gale like he's an up-and-coming kid he's 19 and he won all their nationals this last off season like the summer your side of the world just gone yeah and he's like literally first year elite is beating sam blankensop eddie george all the key he's like smashing them out of the water so i was like right dude have you got a ride for this year in the world cups he's like no, no no i was like right we're getting you a pivot if you want he was like unreal on board and then he couldn't travel because of covid and we didn't have races but you get a real like buzz off that as well like helping him out and seeing him get stoked and then being like he was real mad because he didn't beat me at Crankworks. He crashed <laughs> at the beginning of the end road to Rua. But it was kind of fun. Like there's this kid I haven't really met before and he's like a bit shy, but like he wants to be cocky. And he's real mad he didn't beat me. But it's real fun to like see that because I'm like, oh, you shouldn't fucking beat me at 15 years old or 19 years, <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm like, yeah. you little shit, you better not beat me. But Sit it's down, cool. Like they're going to beat you at some point. <laughs> yeah. But they're going to beat you at some point and... Yeah, I think that's rad. So I'd love to continue the team, hopefully, and be able to pass, hopefully, what I've learned on, the good yeah. things I've learned, <laughs> yeah. on to, like, kids or people or be like, look, look at this line or, don't know, whatever it is. And I know traveling's cool. Like, I drove the, just me drove the truck this year, but I kind of like that. Like, it's still, like, kind of van life, dude. Just, okay, it's a very, very, very big van, but just cruising through Europe in the van with a dog don't know friends girlfriend whatever it's just it's a good time dude just cruising through so i don't know man i think live forever it's something i've been thinking about a lot more lately uh, especially when people ask about you know they're like oh it's the podcast like the only thing you do and and you know like oh you do this and you do that and i sort of was thinking about it and i mean it's the same like sammy moore the guy that owns fist he's like my best mate and uh and it's the same sort of thing with him. We were, we were talking, we we're just riding back from one of our motor rides. And we we're like, I said, I think the people that are successful in this shit are the ones that will do what you did at the start and just break even because pretty much like literally this month is like the first month. Well, there's been a couple months this year that I've made money. I've been doing this podcast three years and I've been like, I've got this sick studio and I've got all the cameras and, but like you accumulate all this shit, but I'm not making any money. Like I'm just, you get money, yeah. then you buy a new camera, your bank account's at zero. And then you just don't really go out. You don't really do any other shit. You fucking read books because they're cheaper than anything else. 
and then you get more money and then you buy the next camera and then you do this and then you do this. And it's taken me three years to get to the point where like I've made money this month and I don't really have anything I have to spend it on. And that feels fucking that's really, sick. <laughs> but, but you know, like that feels cool to do that. And that's just a bonus. That's not the goal. You know what I mean? Like the goal for me has never been to essentially like, I every month I need to make this money that goes into an account that I don't touch or I spend on myself or whatever. And it's just like, all this is to me is like, this is the lifestyle I want to live. I enjoy talking to yeah. people and I enjoy the fact that like I can get up like this morning, get up at 5am, do my shit. We're talking at seven. That's a fucking good day for me. And it's like, this is the lifestyle that I would want to live. And I don't need to be paid well to do this life. And I think that it's sort of the same thing on your end, you know, like you didn't need to be making this surplus of money in your account for all those first years, because it's like the lifestyle that you wanted to live was travel around in a van, race some World Cups, do as good as you could, and you're fucking cheering. And it's like, I think that people, if anyone, you know, people would say to me all the time, like, oh, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? It's like, dude, just be okay with being a fucking bum, but doing what you want to do. <laughs> like, reverse engineer your life. Go like, and for you, it was you wanted to race World Cups and drive around in a van and, and have fun with your mates. Well, Let's reverse engineer ex- what's the bare minimum cost that you need to make to fucking pull that lifestyle off without going to jail. <laughs> Pretty much, dude. Honestly, you said it so perfect. It's exactly what it was. And like you said, we could I could have written for a factory team, but I didn't want to. And I didn't even think about it. Like some months would be like, I don't know if I'd call it stressful. I don't really like the word stressful because I don't know. Just don't get stressed. But like it didn't matter that I wasn't making money and it wasn't that, you know, people like, dude, it doesn't matter that I'm not making money. I didn't even think about it. Honestly, as long as I could like maybe get some beers on the weekend or maybe do this or be like, right, if I save up next week, I can buy a pit bike or whatever it was. It didn't matter because you're right. All I was doing was what I wanted to do. And like, fuck, how lucky is that? If I could break even, I lose a hundred dollars every month and do what I want to do. I would be stoked, dude. And like something we do now, which is almost more reverse engineering or forward, I don't even know what this would be, is that I buy scratch cards sometimes as a job in the petrol station and our lottery, it's called the National Lottery. Yeah. A lot of that money got to like when I went to World Champs in 2009 in Australia, the National Lottery paid for that. They paid for all of our juniors' flights, our hotel. Oh, wow. Rat, like, the lottery, a lot of the money goes to good things. So I know if I'm buying a scratch card, I might win a But a lot of that money helps children, kids, skate parks get built, whatever it is. So it's a real cool thing here. But I'll buy them and I normally bring them home and I won't spend hours because I might think about all the cool shit you could do with that. I really enjoy it. Being like, right, if I won 250 grand now, what would I do tonight? If I won a million, what would I do? And then people always ask me, like, if you win the lottery tonight, what you can do? I was like, I'll run the team. Yeah. I will run, I will go to work. Like, I wouldn't change my life because I do it because it's so fun. Like, okay, maybe I'd fly there in a helicopter. But yeah, I would yeah, still yeah. go to the World Cups, dude. Like, I would honestly, I would race season and I would run the team if I won 100 million pounds tonight. Like, it, which is so cool. And the other way, like, I would do it because I'm broke. But even if I had so much money, I didn't need to get paid by Pivot and everyone. I would still do it. Like, like it was so fun. Like, yeah, I guess it's just what we enjoy doing. is super weird and lucky that we're good enough or we've tried hard enough at having fun 
to do it for a job because yeah that's the other thing i'd say like people like how did you make money of it i said i get really good at having fun all i did was got really really good at having fun i tried to have fun more and more and more then i got good at having fun and now luckily i get we have to do some shitty days at work we like it's raining outside and we'll go training but most of it's pretty so yeah pretty really yeah i mean it's so it's so uh true to say that you would do what I think that's the goal, you know, like to, if you, let's say someone, like I don't even buy a fucking lottery because I just don't care. I'm like, I just, I do what I'm doing now. Like it probably, it's yeah. kind of re- retarded in a way because like obviously to make your life easier. But for me, I'm just like, I just don't give a fuck. Like this is literally exactly what I want to do. And if I don't want to do it anymore, I'll just stop and do something else. But that's should... changed, dude. It's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that. Yeah, and I just think that people, the the level of, like, to me, you know, there, there's, de- dude, there's times all the time, like, I've been so far behind in rent. Like, I'm lucky, like, there's times, like, Harry Bink is my fucking landlord, which is pretty dope. <laughs> but there's been times, like, <laughs> Let's see. but even this year where I've owed him, like, heaps of money because... I'm like, dude, I need to keep the fucking podcast running. Like, I can't pay you. <laughs> I can't pay you, bro. I'll get you back in a couple months, you know. But like, that's to me, I don't know whether I'm fucked up, but like that to me just isn't a big deal. I'd rather... Dude, like, not at all. Yeah. It's like whatever the fuck keeps the wheels on the wagon, I don't care. Yeah. I think people like worry about that. People say like, you're not stressed. I'm like what stress? Like that's like perception or whatever, because like, if I stress about this, it's not going to help because I can't pay my rent right now. I don't know. As long as I don't get kicked out, it doesn't matter. I'll work out a way to pay it. Or like, I went on this TV show for this not paying this bill to Mercedes. Like the bailiffs turned up at my house and like high court enforcement. Because oh, no I didn't have any. But at the time, they tried this huge bill and all this money. And it was ridiculous how out of hand it got. And then I did have the money to pay it. And I refused to because they were trying to rip me off. Hey, I'll refuse to pay shit if it's like, unjust <laughs> dude but i'm like nah i don't know yeah i would rather still be broke or whatever or whatever it is and doing what i want to do i would still rather be broke if i just got to dig dirt in the garden rather than do some shitty job and hate my life you know or whatever it is but it's funny i don't know yeah people we probably are weird to some people that we're happy doing this for no money or all the money or whatever but I don't know. I guess you can't help with what you enjoy as well. Mm. And like, now my girlfriend said tonight, she said, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I've got to, go. I was joking with her. I was like, oh, I've got to go to work at nine for two or three hours. Yeah. Like, and I'm joking, dude. But like, this is work. This is rad. Like, I'm, this is what I want to do tonight though. I get to talk to you, like fan of the show. And like, it's fun to talk about like bikes and all this cool shit. But at the same time, I am at work. Like, I'm promoting my brands, hopefully. And telling you like this cool story and hopefully people will listen to it. It's like, well, that's quite cool. Like, we learned about him or this, but yeah, like you say, it's what I want to do. Like, I'm lucky that I get to just chat shit with someone on air and hopefully it's like, does good, I guess, or something. I don't know. It doesn't yeah, well, feel it like is, work, it, but I guess it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, 100% it's work, man. And and yeah, like that, I think that that's the goal and for, yeah, for people to, to know what it takes. Like, it takes a fuckload of work and it just takes this, like completely turning a blind eye to comfortable and I always talk about, you know, Sam with Fist. Like, it's it's 10 years that Fist has been a company. And people look at 
Sam and like the last couple of years, like it's really blown up and everyone's on fist. Yeah. He's got the craziest team and everyone, you know, it's like this 10 year overnight success. And it's like, man, I've seen yeah. that dude. I've seen him just fucked, fucked with money, fucked over by people, like working three jobs, like literally working almost 24 hours a day, like working at fist in the morning working in a skate park, then working in a bar and just doing that for fucking years, man. Like, and us all being like, dude, you're killing yourself, man. Like something's got to give. And he just like, I just don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Like it is what it is. And it's like, make that, it work. Yeah. yeah. And that's the attitude that you have to have if you want to do this. And it's like, what's a couple of years of living like a, like, dude, I've lived like a fucking bum for so many years you know <laughs> but it's like what what's a what's it matter to live like a bum for five years if you set yourself up like yourself now you know like you retire from racing you run this team for for fucking years man you know it's like that yeah. sacrifice and if you're enjoying it while you're in the middle of that crazy sacrifice fucking win-win that's a bit exactly like as long as you enjoy even like the crazy shit bit or whatever you want to call it like we broke down in like a van and we were up till 5 a.m. driving to the next race because we were stuck in Belgium for a day and the vans had a fan belt go or this. And at the time, you're like, this is shit, man. But you're still then the next day, like, yeah, we had this shit journey to get here. And you yeah. are enjoying it. And like, as long as you like, the one thing I try to live by is it doesn't matter. Like, nothing matters. If I lost all my money to that tomorrow, like, I've got a, I just bought a house three months ago. If I lost my house, my cars, my van, my truck, everything doesn't actually matter okay it would suck yeah. it doesn't matter like dude i go get a job at mcdonald's next week easy like easy like i'm having so much fun and like even through the shit i was real lucky to have this perspective like so much stuff went wrong and broke the van broke again mercedes needed this money i got three flat tires and snapped a chain and i was like i'm still having fun like for somehow i'm still enjoying this i'm still going and like I still don't know if anything else I want to do right now. You know, all I wanted to do was still do that, even though it was technically shit, you could say at the time. I was loving it. And I would realize that like, dude, as long as I don't die today, it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm riding my bike or I'm stood here with my friend in a field in Austria. Like life is sick, dude. Like I'm so lucky. And as soon as I think I realized that like nothing, I know it matters. Like, and people have different things that matter and like, you need money to feed your kids or like eat food. Like it's different for everyone. But I'm lucky enough that like, dude, if everything went wrong tomorrow and I lost every cent I own, my mum would probably put me in her basement or whatever. I'd get a job at McDonald's next week and I would be fine. You yeah. Know? And like, I guess if I like look at stuff like that, I'm always like, dude, life is sick. Like I'll just keep chugging along, riding bikes for as long as I can. And it's a good time. Yeah. And there's always something that you've got in your current situation to be super grateful for. Dude, so grateful. Like literally everything. I like dug out this thing from a patio I want to build out here. And I'm grateful for that. I'm like, wow, this is such a sick piece of dirt I got here to build a patio. Like you've always got something like you can look at. I'm like, dude, that's rad that I've got that or I've achieved that. And like with the team, it's crazy. Like we keep saying, I don't even really think like, oh, I've got this goal of being rich. Or when I was a kid, I wanted to be a millionaire. I always wanted to be. And then I got so over that for like, didn't really care as I grew up. And with the team like now, like we get paid pretty well, if I'm honest, like we do good at racing, we run a good team and I have like some cool stuff now, 
like well i didn't really ever think i'd get here but this is so rad like mm. you go through all this shit and it is to know it's rad <laughs> like it's hard to say you know but i would do it all pretty much for free i don't want to tell the sponsors that but yeah <laughs> me yeah and, me and, you know do you know Connor Fearon is the Australian? Yeah, yeah. He's like a downhill rider. Me yeah. and him joke for so long that we're like in a scam because like what if these companies realize we would ride bikes for free? Like if every <laughs> bike company at, at one point in the day realized we'd do it for free and all stop paying us, we would all still do it for free. If they all <laughs> yeah. like agreed as a union of bike companies not to pay a single rider, we would all still do it for free. You know? <laughs> and we're like, oh, it's a scam, dude, because... A clothing company could be like, oh, we'll pay you a grand first. I'm like, nah, you're going to have to pay me two grand to wear your clothing. Like, that's a scam, dude. I would wear, like, we have to wear clothes, otherwise we'll be naked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, but we're so lucky that we've, like, tried hard enough at having fun or something we love doing. We've been like, nah, you guys have got to pay me more to run your clothes or this rad bike that I actually love and I secretly would ride for free. <laughs> so... Dude, the, fuck, the fucked up thing though is that like even for me looking on that as someone that knows how hard the journey is and like from in just speaking of my own journey through this shit like i still look at a youtube channel i'm like fucking look at this little rich cunt <laughs> <laughs> i promise i'm not it looks like i'm now like my old house that i rented out had this huge fancy driveway like real, real long driveway like ride the motocross bikes up and stuff so that was like a shared estate driveway but it looks fucking ridiculous, dude. And like, <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm real rich. And like, I saved up for you. So I'm 29 now and I just bought a house this year. So like, I didn't buy a house for so long. And like, I had a real fancy car before. I don't know if you know if Eddie said or anything. But I yeah, what did you, you have? It's still free. I, Sorry? Like what, last what, year did I have it or the year before? What was it? Last year. An F430. Oh, Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari, and I can F430 Ferrari. <laughs> but I know, but dude, I always wanted one since I was a kid and I kept it a secret when I had it. I didn't post it on Instagram or anything. Like I didn't post it anywhere while I had it because I was like, everyone's going to think, oh boy, everyone's going to think you're this spoiled little rich kid. And I honestly, I was so uncool in it, so lame. I'd like go and turn it on outside and like stare at it and like open the engine bay. And like when I drove it, I was a geek. Like girlfriend at the time would laugh at me because she was like, you're so uncool in this. Like, like <laughs> super, super hyped on it, dude. Like always wanted it my whole life. Like even now, like I sold it last year. I put a photo of it on Instagram like three months after I sold it and didn't write that it was mine or anything just to see like what people would say as a joke. But yeah, it like people think you're rich or whatever. But I saved up for that my whole life, dude. Like after I started making money, like forever and like, I know it's funny, yeah. How like people perceive you or whatever, like you little fuck. You know, I've worked a lot of years for this. Like since yeah. I was twelve years old, I've been trying hard at biking. And in any other job, dude, if you were like tenth best world solicitor in the world, you know, you'd yeah, probably true. be making loads of good or tenth best doctor in the world. You'd be making shit tons of money. So I'm like, ah, fuck it. If we want to have nice stuff, we can have nice stuff. Now we can afford it. But I sold that now. Don't I got an old Porsche now. I got a 1991 uh, Porsche 964. It's a lot classier. Yeah, cool. that that thing looks sick. I actually was looking on your Instagram before you come on, and I saw the like the pivot on the roof rack. I was like, "Fuck, see, that's cool." Yeah, it's like a air cooled one, so that's pretty sick. But um, yeah, definitely not a rich boy. My mum pretty much, my mum did go bankrupt doing all this for me. Bless her. So I owe her a lot. <laughs> definitely not a rich boy. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of it is kind of fucked up that you know 
the people just don't have context. And then as soon as you, it's just tall poppy, you know, like, and it, it, it's something that I think about a lot because obviously I know where I've come from and I know the work that I've put in, but you know, as soon as you start getting nice things and even I like KTM gave me a, a bike for six months. And so like you pull up at the track and then everyone's like, Oh fucking hell, the show must be going all right. You got this, but I'm like, I give this back in six months. And then dude, I'm everyone's back. like, it's all right for you though. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, fuck dude. Like, so yeah, I mean you, it is, it's hard to, to have that in the back of your mind that like you sort of, you come from such humble, humble beginnings and you work so hard. Like, like right now it's a trip for me. I go into my shed, like I live in an apartment building and I got this shed and I've got like a fucking cool last toolbox and you know what I mean? Like I got a Red Bull fridge and I built all my own benches and I got a 2020 350 and an 03 YZ252 stroke that I'm building. And like I have to pinch myself for the fact that I just have that. And I mean, that's not a, that's not crazy. You know, but when you sort of do come from, like, it's such a process just to get those things and then to, to think that, you know, in the same way that I was like, fucking Bernard Coe, little rich boy, in the same way that like somebody (laughs) could, somebody could think that, you know, it's like, it is kind of a bummer that that's like the default setting that we seem to have as humans. Yeah. I think the garage thing's so rad. Like the house I rented. I had these two toolboxes I got for it. They're 500 quid each, but they look like these massive flash toolboxes. And, uh, dude, I would leave the, for honestly, like, two years I lived there until I moved here. So it was like the front door of the house was like here and the next one's like here and they're like six feet apart. And if you leave them both, like the one door was glass and the other one was wood, I'd leave that literally open every night for two years while I was in the house because I could see through into the garage to all the motorbikes and bikes and the toolboxes. I was like, dude, this is so fucking cool. And I'll just go out there and stand in there. I'm like, I'm so stoked on this stuff. Yeah. Tidy my toolbox up. Just like you, dude. You're like so pumped on that stuff you have. You appreciate it. Even now that we just tidy the garage up here, we're just finally kind of moving in and getting it sorted. I'm like, dude, this is so sick. And I got a container in the garden last week. We got a container dropped, like a 20 foot storage one for all like the team oils and spares and toolboxes. Dude, I just go so hyped on that. Like, wow, we've achieved this with the team. We've got, a container which to some people is nothing and i'm like i always wanted a storage container to have like yeah. pit bikes and stuff in and it's so rad it's it's funny but yeah like you'll see as well in five years time or ten years time you'll have like a nice apartment or a house you'll post a photo of it on instagram and everyone's like whoa look at that rich guy he just runs a podcast he only started that a few years ago and they yeah. won't realize you've been doing it for 10 15 years and like even before that you'd probably be like having conversations with people and thinking about things and putting like wheels in motion. They won't realize you've put 10 years of work into it. Well, I mean, I've I've already had like a, I've had a 10 year career of filming. Like, uh, then the name gypsy comes from the fact that I left Australia at 20 as a kid and just had, I bought a fucking camera and a tripod on a credit card. I still have the fucking tripod. I had to sell the camera, but I've still got the fucking original (laughs) tripod that I, used and i traveled around the world on nothing like my dad always used to say like you need to write a book on how to travel the world on 20 dollars." because literally like i <laughs> man three thousand dollars was basically like if i had three thousand dollars in my account over that 10 year period i was rich like that was like the max that yeah, i fucking sure. made in my account like it was <laughs> hectic dude yeah it's so sick yeah no one realized see 10 years is a long time to be going at it 
And you're Fucking right, some oath, people dude. would already be funny that you're getting lent a KTM. It's it's funny, dude. Same with me with stuff. You're like, look, I promise, like, we've worked hard at this now, and I do do okay at races. But I feel guilty, honestly, and I'll be, like, embarrassed, like, with things. Even, like, the car I drive, I'm, like, sometimes, like, oh, people are looking at me, but... Yeah, it's funny, but I guess it's a good thing. I've got like a three wheel car that's like a piece of shit as well. And I love driving that because you like look poor in it, so it's quite funny. <laughs> oh, so when so did the that. when did the you start riding motocross? Like, what was the the catalyst into that? Did you do that as a kid alongside mountain bikes, or was that something that you got into after you'd done well at mountain bikes? Or when did the moto thing come in? Because essentially, you're fucking the UK buttery. <laughs> <laughs> shit i don't know if that's a good thing or not nah buttery's a fucking um, no he's pretty sick jeez he's big g on instagram but i we rode as kids like when i was like four or five we rode for like a year i think i can't i can't remember it from honest really but we rode at our house for like a year and then i didn't ride one again until when i was 12 did i get one for like six months maybe no i was 11 i had one for move six months and i didn't get one again until i was well, I got a pit bike. Me and my mum got me a pit bike, like a Chinese, like 400 pound shitter. Yeah. When I was 14 or 15. No, I think I was 15. I got a Chinese pit bike and it was so sick, dude. I remember like riding it all the time, like loving it. It was so like, bless it. We didn't have any idea. I remember the first day I got it, it cut out and we couldn't work out how to start it, but the fuel was off. We had to call up the people. It took like two days to get it started, I think, before we could get hold of it. Fucking And I was gutted at the time, dude. Like, my mum was so sad for me, bless her. Like, it's so sad when I think back, you know, when you get all sad about an old time. You're like, we just didn't even know how to use it. So I had that. Then I got a TTR 125, like the four-stroke one. Boom, boy. Got one of those. Dude, they're sick. So I had one of those for like a year because like all the mountain bikers in the UK had them. So I was like, mum, it's what they all have. I must need it for training. If they've all got one, I need it. Had that. And then I got a motocross bike after that for like, six months like the shittest 125 ever like we didn't know anything bless her we're like bullying my mum to buy these for us like i feel horrible <laughs> about it, dude she must have gone like like they're like a, a thousand dollar bike but still had that but we'd like we honestly didn't have time money to ride them so we'd like ride around my grandma's field she had like an acre field we could ride it around but like it was pretty flat or like there was a disused quarry we could go to sometimes if we could get out my brother got a license but we wouldn't ride a lot and then i probably didn't have one for a year they probably had one for like six months but in six months we'd ride them three or four times you know yeah or like we'd just ride them on the shittest thing you've ever seen it wouldn't we wouldn't go to track we'd barely go to tracks then i'd have one in winter then i wouldn't because i couldn't afford it then i'd have one in winter and then we had them and they got stolen like we've been robbed so many times in england like sucks motocross bikes get stolen all the time Fuck. so i had like a z50 and a 125 they both got stolen didn't have one for a while like i'd had them on and off dude like but barely yeah and i'd ride them like a track four times a year and then when i like had a couple in new zealand but again the tracks kind of there sucked and like i had a one two five in new zealand which was pretty cool for like one of the three months i was there but you'd ride it eight times you know max or whatever because it's too dry i'm trying to ride mountain bikes and then in 2015 when i won the king of crankworks i bought my first brand new bike with that prize money What'd you get? And then uh, KTM 350. Oh, Dude, sick. I'd like researched so much and was like, I want to know what bike I want. But I couldn't afford, like, I bought the 15 at mm. the, like, mid-15s, you know? Yeah. So the 16s come out in, what, August or July normally. Yeah. 
or whatever. But I couldn't afford a new one. I knew if I had spent seven grand on one, like pounds, I'd be under. So I was like, right, I've got to get the last year's one, but I'll find a brand new one somewhere. And I found out so many dealerships. I got a brand new 15. Like, dude, I reserved it before I won the money. Like, reserved it like a month and a half before I won the money. I was confident I was winning. That's fucking awesome. But, um, yeah. So then when I got home, or as well known that trip, maybe I got my brother to, like, get it delivered or pick it up. But, um, yeah, so I got a brand new 15. And then from 2015 then, I've ridden quite a lot. Like, I bought that bike, rode it so much when I got home in September. I shipped it to New Zealand because I couldn't afford to buy another one. Really? I, I took it to pieces, lied about the size of the boxes on, like, this shipping account I have, sent <laughs> it to New Zealand for, like, 500 bucks or 400 bucks, built it in New Zealand, rode it all summer in New Zealand, shipped it back to the UK, rode it there for, like, another year. And then... Yeah, since that, I guess, I've ridden quite a lot. It's like 2015 on. Is that about right? And then like the next year or the year after, I made that bet about the A1 thing. So, yeah, I don't know why. I like suddenly got a motor. I think all mountain bikers just think motors are all cool and like way sicker than what we do. The Dude, whips are better. <laughs> man, I that's one thing like, so for me, I raced downhill. Like we've, we've rode bikes our whole life. So I was like, when i had a bike and we did that whole deal like my dad used to race and and then i had this really bad uh crash actually this dude fucking parked on the we had like this grass track and this dude parked on this grass track and then opened his car door as i came past on a 50 and so i like turned turned to try and like not hit this fucking car door and then this guy uh the handlebars went through my stomach and like into my intestines and i had to like like nearly fucking died so then mum was like cool that's it they're, they're fucking done so i didn't have a bike again for fucking yeah like years and years but i uh i saved up because my uncle's glenn jacobs so we oh, had sick. like and not not like blood uncle but he's like my dad's best best mate so my whole life he's been uncle glenn yeah. And then, so anyway, we weren't allowed to do the mountain bike thing, uh, the motorbike thing for a while. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to get a downhill bike. So I bought an intense M1 and I just like, we, we just shoveled downhill tracks all around. Cause I grew up in Cairns. So like we had the Cairns okay. World Cup course and I lived on like the South side of town and there was no actual shuttles there. So like my whole fucking childhood was just like pushing mountain bikes uphill up hills and That's downhill right. and until we got a uh dad ended up buying me and my brother we had to share a ttr 125 and so right. I was, dude i was a fucking senior racing a ttr 125 in like fucking pro pro lights <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but the, it's That's so right. crazy like anyway fucking fast forward all that and like my heroes, dude, is like Sam Hill and Chris Kavarik and Nathan Rennie and fucking all the mountain bike dudes. And it's something that like Mick Hanna was my next door neighbor, Mick and Tracy. And uh, it was just like the downhill thing was just like, I feel like my roots. And it's been so fucking crazy to start the podcast. And it's fairly moto because that's sort of like what I did. And every yeah. fucking dude in the top 10 downhill listens to this podcast. Dude, like everyone. Yeah, it's sick. It's I'm like, what? cooler. I'm like, what a fucking trip, man. Like everybody, <laughs> eh? And I was like, I never thought the whole like how it had come back full circle, you know? Like everyone, I don't, I've never really talked that much about like the mountain bike sort of 
history, but to me now, it's a trip that all of those guys listen to listen to this because I'm like, again, it feels like a, a scam. And I'm like, hey, you guys don't know. I actually fucking froth downhill so hard. <laughs> okay, we're just fanboys of the motor. That's the problem, though. <laughs> it, I, and I never realized that the like downhill guys were so hardcore into moto. But I feel like a lot of sports, it's been a trip doing this, just seeing how many top-level athletes just fucking froth the moto guys. Dude, it's just, I think it's just so rad. There's so much crossover in all sports. But for us, that like, you can't scrub a mountain bike as good. No matter how much you try, we don't have the weight, the throttle, yeah. the anything. Like, and we want to be able to scrub because it's a sick feeling. But a scrub on a motorbike is better. There's no questions. A whip on a motorbike is better. So I think we're always going to just be like fans of it and love it. And like even a turn, like you can turn a mountain bike pretty good. But like you can't hit a soft turn on a mountain bike and carry speed because we don't have power. You hit a soft turn on a moto and you drag your bar and you come out, dude. Like, yeah, man, I'm biking sick. But that feels pretty insane on a motocross bike. Or even like a big whip. Like, I can't whip one huge, but I can go sideways enough and it feels unreal on a motocross bike. Yeah, well, you can throw some pretty decent moto whips. I'll give you that. Yeah, well, maybe in photos they look all right. I think I think I cheat the cheat a bit there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you, you ride... Do you, did you do much racing at all like when you sort of from 2015 nah, like, on i raced the pit bike i raced the chinese one i had at these enduros it was like a mini bike pit bike enduro series and then my friends did like hare and hounds races here so i tr on those and then i got that 2015 bike and i did i did a hare and hounds race on it which my chain and sprockets wore out like the og it was like a three-hour race and they ran out like 30 minutes from the end like the rear sprocket rounded off because the sand was so wet Fuck. and then i did oh what did i do i did one race on it i think it was this one called canada heights in the uk so i did one race there and then the year like a few years later i did what else have i raced dude i've done like next to nothing i raced some like flat track thing in boise in the states on like a borrowed 250 just an indoor like thing and then I race, there's these things called SMXs here. They're real local, dude. It's like they have a bungee across the start line. Someone lets go of a bungee and you race, you know? Yeah. And I've done three of those. I think that's all I've ever raced. No, I've raced like four or five times, like on a motocross bike. Like literally, literally never, dude. Like terrible. And then but I so, can ride, like if you go to a practice track, I can ride. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, you race. can, yeah, you can ride good. I've watched a bunch of your shit. You definitely can ride good. And then, so what the fuck made you think you could actually race A1? I didn't think I could race A1. I thought I could maybe get it on the track. <laughs> very, <laughs> very different things. Getting on A1 track is different to racing it. And I don't know, dude, just overconfident. I'm, my biggest problem with some things is being overconfident, probably thinking like, yeah, I could do that. Like, it doesn't look that hard. And like, I could jump a motocross bike pretty big by the time I made that bet. Like, I could whip one over a 90-foot table, you know, that's like big jump to go sideways on on a 250f or whatever wide open so just way too much confidence i guess and just thought it'd be funny like a bet to make and i was like i got years dude i'll just practice every winter and then each winter i'd have a better plan of doing something else or something but i don't know why i thought i, could. I just thought i could i think was that the year i feel like we rode in a super a super cross track in france maybe 
or was that the year after? And it was like, I got round it pretty good, but it was so spaced out in hindsight, you know, and so easy. Yeah. But like it looked at the time like a supercross track. So I was like, well, I got this. Like I got three years to work on this. But so was that three the bet years goes that, by real fast. So was the bet that in three years you'd be able to like qualify for A1 or like go and make the night? Yeah, it was like by, it was by 2020. So we made the bet in either 2016 or 2017. It was like, yeah, by... 2020 a1 like i will try and make the night show it was like oh, i had to turn up for practice i think or make the night show. i can't remember exactly i could get the video up whether it was make the night show or whatever it was but and to now like if i'd trained as much as i was supposed to if i'd trained the winner before like i was supposed to which i didn't do and if i'd started earlier and we hadn't had we had like our wettest autumn in 20 years mm. last year when i tried to do it so we started two weeks late because we had some issues with the track then it rained, so I rode seven days supercross in the UK before I went to America. We're hoping to be about like 20 days in, 25 days in, going to America. And when I got there, I was like, right, I'll get at least another 20 days in. And by the time A1 rolled around, I'd done 18 days on a supercross track ever. Like, it was just everything went wrong that could have gone wrong. And we started, honestly, we started maybe a month late, and then everything went wrong. But if I'd started when I was supposed to start with the track and had it done oh that was it i was supposed to start the winter before and i had a crash in my 500 track and like hit my head pretty hard and then that winter just blew but after that i think my friend's supercross track got shut down or something happened so i missed the 2018 2019 winter so yeah started the next one and we were just so, so short on time that we had to fly to atlanta to get the kid that was helping me jordan booker his bike was at Millsap's house, like the training facility, because he went out there to try and race Supercross the year before because he's actually good at riding a motorbike and could <laughs> actually race Supercross. We had to like, go to Atlanta to get that, then we got stuck there because... Um, what's Millsap's mum's name? Colleen. Know, she couldn't come meet us because... Colleen. She couldn't come meet us because of Thanksgiving, so we got stuck in Atlanta for five or four days. We weren't supposed to be there for four days. We were supposed to get the bike and go. And we were, already, we were a week late going to Atlanta, so now we're like two more weeks behind. Then we got to California and it rained straight for a week. So did you drive then, to California from Atlanta? Yeah, dude, because we had to pick up his bike and shit. And I'm like, this kid's helped me with a supercross track in the UK. He's helping with a lot of shit out here. I don't know what we're doing. He's got a van in California. So we rented a van to get across, but he's got a van there. Like, I need his help. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And um, honestly, we got to California two and a half, three weeks late. Then it rained for a week, so we lost another week. And then... We started riding. We didn't issue. I can't remember what we had an issue with. Started riding. Then I had a huge crash on a triple. So I couldn't ride for like four days, five days. And then it's like everything went wrong that could have. And I don't know. I got around the tracks. Like I could make it around Pro Circuit, uh, Glen Helen. I could make it around the other ones. Like we tried to make the videos look worse than I was because we thought it was funnier. Yeah. Like for people watching at home, we'd like film all my worst bits. And normally we video for like the vlogs for like the first like half a day or third, three quarters a day. And then at the end, we'd always shoot photos just so I could have them for Instagram. So yeah. no one ever saw my best writing, which wasn't great by any means. But we always thought it'd be funny to make them bad. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like if we'd had the three or four months I wanted to have going into it, and I'd really put more time or whatever in California. If I'd gone to California in September, I think we'd have been okay. Not saying I would have qualified, but... I know I'd have been okay, but I would have made it around the track. Like I walked a one, like when we were there and I would have got around the track. Like I could have hit all the jumps. I could have gone through the whoops. I'm not saying it'd be pretty, but I could have done it. 
so even that i guess like don't know pretty stoked on it it's gnarly dude so you know it's so gnarly well man honestly honestly i was watching your videos that you're posting from the writing and like you actually were doing pretty fucking good really yeah it was nice we were saying like i would sometimes like go into the track of like oh i hope we get stuck in traffic today like if we get stuck in traffic i don't have to get the track for longer <laughs> like dude it was it was not like the first day we rode in california on the track it was the kawasaki like k3 test track like we're there mcgrath like comes to meet me he's like yeah i'll go up there with you like nicest dude ever he's like we'll go up there with you and um like introduce you to everyone and we'll like get you out on track roll up and he's like oh i've got to shoot a specialized thing just while i'm here like don't worry about it like i'll just do it in the background I'm like, okay cool so then villapoto turns up and then uh who else was there bogle and baggett maybe uh so then we got someone else was there villapoto and jeremy i'm just kind of stood there looking at this gnarliest track i've ever seen dude and then jeremy's like okay like just suit up and like go roll around and have a look at it i'm like what do you like Villapoto and literally McGrath have stood five feet from the track and like I've never ridden a hard packed dry supercross track in my life I'm like yeah just start rolling around here's my bike like go see what you can I'm like it was honestly so gnarly so <laughs> yeah, it was a sick experience dude but it was gnarly out the gate to try and learn and like hit the jumps like the triple on that track wasn't too big but the finish line jump was massive mm. like wide open and second out the turn pretty much on a 450 whereas the finish line jump there's like half throttle on a 450 in second so it was not i don't even know if i hit it that no i did hit it at the end of the day but hit jeremy had left because i was like shit i wanted him like i hit the triple and everything but like followed someone in like alex ray i think it was there and jordan like my mate helped me over it but it's so gnarly i said like if you're stood above a track even if you're 10 foot above on a bank and you look at the track you're like oh the track looks pretty good you go down onto the track just 10 feet lower than where you were yeah everything is so gnarly like so gnarly like i could make it round in the end but it was it was nice the last probably the last day before a1 we were at glen helen and i could do like i could piece good laps together i think my lap times were like six seconds four minutes round the glen helen one yeah right but it was a short lap like i was pretty i think i was we timed me i was six and a half seconds off but that was pretty second to last day there so maybe i was i was way better because i would get massively better each day I rode. Yeah. Six seconds a lap off him round a forty five second track. You know, it's quite a short track. So I wasn't great, but I could make, you know, with like I don't know, double triple, but it was a cool experience. So how did you get hooked up with uh McGrath? Because you were like on his bikes and shit over there as well, right? Yeah, yeah, that was just through Maxis. Like we were in Whistler at Crankworks. And they're like, hey, this is Jeremy, this is Bernard, like you know, we've been talking to you about Jeremy's. They filmed me and kind of on your bet. And dude, I'm on. I'm on board to help if you want it. Like, we'll we'll see what we can do for you, and uh, we'll get some help. I was like, "Whoa, are you serious?" And then Maxis kind of took it from there. Like, what a rad sponsor, dude! Just from the bikes to them for all these years. They were like, "We sponsor him." I don't know why he thought he like why he believed me, the nutter. But he was like, "Dude, if you," he's like, "You're an idiot." But if you want to try, I'm all helping you. So he's like, "I'll lend you when you get here." And he was unreal, dude. He like lent me. I guess he's got. He had two 450s maybe there. He lent me one of his 450s and then he like phoned Pro Circuit, got them to do suspension. Like I had like a factory shock that you can't even buy. What? And then the forks were just looked standard, but they had an A kit in. But like yeah. he phoned up, he drove down there to Pro Circuit for me, drove it back to his workshop to like hand it to me. Like 
the nicest guy going out of his way and like drove out to the track three times to meet me. Like I think it was like two hours each way from his house or an hour and a half each way. Yeah, yeah. He lives nowhere for nothing. Just out of his time, dude. Dude, out just so much time out of his day. Like be like, yeah, let's see if this guy. Maybe he thought it was funny. I don't know, but he was just so nice and just so on board for helping. And was like, yeah, dude, I'll help you do it. So it was all through Maxis, like a guy called Chris Meyer and like uh, Aaron Chamberlain and Duncan at Maxis really just all helped it, helped you go along. Like a rad, honestly, such a rad sponsor with like sorting the bike out, sending loads of tires out to the UK, sending tires there, being like, what do you need? They sent that we had to turn around. They were sending a full semi down to Anaheim for me to pit out of. What? Which was rad. Yeah, like I was going to have like a full pit, which was going to be so cool. But um, yeah, we never made it there. But it was rad. I feel like if we had four months to go and train, I could do it like, not saying I would qualify, but I can get around a track fine. Yeah. We're starting from a much better point now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know? so what was the, in the end, was there something about like the licensing? Cause I thought from, from the outside, I was like, oh, this is a G up like, because he, I don't know how you can just rock up and race. Like I, I feel like you need to have like actual supercross endorsed licensing you know what i mean because like even if you're austin faulkner you can't just go and race supercross like you've got to do the arena cross series x amount of points so like what was your thinking about like the fact that you could even rock up and race if you're an international rider you can just rock up and race if you have an fim license really the country gives you an fim license otherwise if you're from france how do you go over there and just race the year before or whatever you technically there is a loophole you basically i don't know the exact wording there. i can just write sure i called yeah, they called the acu here i checked dude i spent 30 or 40 grand probably in dollars doing this like i didn't go over there just thinking i could race like i did so many hours of research from this i did emails i had phone calls i was like are you sure i could this start in april maybe I was phoning the ACU like, are you sure I can race? I want this in writing that I can race. What license do I need? What do I need for this? I emailed or Eddie Eva, the AMA, being like, what does he need? We need to make sure he can do this before we get too far along the line. So we made sure I had the licenses. I had this, I had that. But you can't buy your FIM license. You can't technically pay for it until... I don't know if it's the 15th or the 20th of December because that's when the next year's licenses come out, you know, 2020 licenses. Yeah. So to race in a 2020 series, you need a 2020 license, but you can't buy it till like the 20th of December and 20, whatever it is. So the time I'm licensed, I've got emails from the ACU. They've sent me the forms to go get a medical. So I've gone and got a medical. They sent me the forms to go do an eye test. I've gone and done an eye test in the UK. This is before I've even gone to America. The ACU have sent me all these forms sold me a national license which i've applied for and sent off and this is with knowing what i'm doing i've told them i'm racing supercross i told them i've never raced before like i've been a hundred percent i've gotten i don't want to hide anything dude otherwise why am i spending 30 or 40 grand you know yeah yeah like i'm not an idiot i've made this very clear what i was doing or wanted it for and then before i know it i get an email i can't remember it's from like the head of the AMA first, or I'm like email there being like, hey, have you got my license application? Or I'm trying to enter online, but I've got a UK license, so I can't get my entry. She's like, oh, do this, do this, and then just let me know you've got it. And before I know it, the UK, the, the ACU wouldn't reply. They went quiet. They'd normally reply instantly, and they went quiet for like three days. And then I just get an email being like, hey, we're not going to issue a license. These are the reasons. I was like, 
what do you mean? Like, I've been talking to you for four months, you know, like why I want this license. I'm in America now. I told you when I was going to America, I've done my health checks for you that you told me to do. And then the next day I just get an email from like the head of the ACU, like the top guy, like he shouldn't even know who I am. And then the same thing the next day have the AMA, like the head of Supercross emails me. I'm like, how is this guy emailing me? He shouldn't be emailing me. And then like the head of AMA, the director of racing emails me and it just escalated out of control. Wow. Like all of a sudden, like someone, I think he talked to the head of the ACU and they told him not to issue me a license. Like no one will admit to this, but they were like, probably like, Hey, this guy's never raced. And then I sort of phoned up and I was like, Hey, I'm not racing. I'm going to go and ride practice. And like, if I qualify, that means I'm quick enough to race, you know, like I've proved myself in qualifying. If I don't, you've let me out there for three practice sessions. What's the harm? Mm. I'm like, you've got Jeremy McGrath that will phone you up, Western Pike, like I've been riding with them and they'll tell you I can get around the track. Like if they thought I was a danger or if Mitch Payton thought I was a danger to Faulkner and McAdoo riding around his private track, I don't think he would let me out there. Yeah, yeah. You know? But then, yeah, before I know it, they're like, no one's replying to me, dude. And they're trying to use like, it wasn't Thanksgiving. I can't remember. They're all like away for the weekend. And I'm like working through the night trying to talk to the ACU in England and the AMA like on the East Coast of America or wherever the hell they're based. And like everyone's ignoring my stuff or not replying. And then I'm like, look, why can't we do this? And then, dude, I'm going to have to get a charge. My laptop's going to die because I've got to finish this story. i got a funny for you. Yeah, no worries. I'm going to have to do, do a quick pause, mate. We're getting a charge. Yeah. No worries, brother. This my 100 brushes burning the power. So this is working out. Dude, what a hectic story. Dude, it was hectic. So basically, they're like, the ACU are now like, we're not going to issue you a license. It's just going to wear this charger. So, um, we're there with Jordan, my friend that's helped me with the Supercross, and his mate called Graham Irwin. Don't know if you know who he is. Ah. He's like, he was British motocross champion in like 2015 or something. Really good motocross rider. His family, he's Irish. He's out in the States training for this marine cross in the UK and uh, his wife lives there. And he's like, oh, I'll just, I'll phone up the Irish Federation. We'll get you a license. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, they're family friends of ours. Like, we'll just get you a license. So before I know it, he phones them. Like, his family are like road racing legends there. Like, road, like, not even like closed circuit, but like Isle of Man style stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he phones up this guy there. Before we know it, dude, I've got an FYM license from Ireland. Like I, I get given a license over, dude, because I just moved to Ireland because you have to live in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So I moved to Ireland overnight and he gets me this license. And um, so I sent it into the AMA and I'm like, hey, you go, guys, here's my FIM license. Da, da, da. And they're like, no, we can't. They wouldn't reply again for this like two more days because this is going on now for like a week or two, for, like two weeks. Maybe I'm stressing over this. And I'm still driving out to Supercross tracks every day. Like, am I even training for pointlessly? And... Um, yeah, I send it into them and they ignore me again. Then I phone up and then I pho- I'm just phoning the AMA all morning, like every day. And they're like, oh, we'll phone you back. And then the head of Supercross, Mike Pelletier, is not phoning, speaking to someone else. And eventually, like, yeah, we we said you, because he said on the phone, he's like, if you have an FIM license, I will give you an entry because that's their rule. All you yeah. need is an FIM license. But if you're from the USA, you have to have an AMA license with Supercross points. That's the difference. But he said that on the phone, not in writing. 
So then I'm like, hey, dude, I sent you an FIM license. Why Why won't you let me race? And then he's like ignoring me. He's like, right, can you come to the trailer on Thursday at Anaheim? So I had to like go to the stadium on Thursday after the Glen track. And then I like, they wouldn't allow us, dude. It was weird. And then I go in, it's like Mike Pelletier, someone else from the AMA. And we've got like the head of the AMA director of racing on the phone, like at the office, like a conference call. Yeah. And they're just coming up with excuse after excuse after they were like, you can't do it because you've haven't done this. I'm like, oh yeah, but this is here. Okay, you can't do it because of this. I'm like, which reason is it? You need to give me that's gonna stick here. So they just kept coming up with loads of different excuses why I couldn't do it, and not one of them really matched the excuse they come up with two minutes before. Each one of their own ones out. And it was weird. They basically saying, No, you can't. So it was the FIM that stopped me in the end, not the AMA, because I don't think the AMA almost had authority to because I matched all their criteria. Like I had an FIM license. I bought one and got issued an FIM license to compete in it. So they just basically stopped me. And then I know there was a meeting at the FIM in February about it. Like really? They to, they, they, it was like scheduled a meeting about what happened. Yeah. Because like I get, I was exploiting a loophole for sure I was, but I checked the loophole and it's not, it's like a loophole to help international riders. Hopefully I haven't screwed anyone over for future. But I knew what I was doing and this was the license and I got it. And then, yeah, super weird. They were like, they're one of the main reasons was you've never been in motorcycle competition. I was like, well, I have. And they're like, I'm like, it's timed racing. It's a qualifying session. That's what I get paid to do on yeah. biking. Yeah. And they said, yeah, but when everyone goes into that first turn, it's a race. Or even uh. a race and you've never been in that. So we can't, can't let you do whatever and we watched when we watched it the right like the first lap they made three turns before three dudes took each other out in practice and okay that could have been me but i was no worse than anyone in c practice you know <laughs> like i would have made it round but it was just shit because it could have thought that i couldn't do it and i wouldn't have spent 30 grand yeah fuck dude that's yeah. so it's so gnarly man like but you're pretty sick that you committed to doing it and actually like you gave it a pretty <laughs> solid crack, man. Dude, yeah, it was it was rad. Like the only thing that stuck was crashing on the triple. Like that was so annoying. Like we'd shot mountain bikes all morning with flying and I'd gone out to the track. I'd hit it first lap. Yeah, I like, rode around the track, hit it first lap fine. Like I'd hit it before as well. That was my second or third time at the track. And the next lap round, I don't know why I did I just went too slow. I was a little bit twisted, just too slow, and I cased it and just got ejected. Oh. Like, I had such, like, knocked myself out. Like, I remember everything, but I got knocked out, like, twisted the subframe, smashed the exhaust, like, smashed all the levers. Like, like wake up, Brock Tickle was there. And so, like, dude, dudes I've looked up to, you know, like, dude, you all right? What's going on? And that was kind of sucked. And I was, I was super embarrassed about that. But otherwise, it was... It was pretty cool. It wasn't a holiday, that's for sure. It was not even close to a holiday because you don't realize with moto as well, like we drive so much the tracks, you drive yeah. up, you drive home, you wash the bike. Now we got to do an air filter. Now we got to do an oil change. Dude, we wouldn't have time to do anything else. Like I'm so impressed with those moto guys, dude, unless you have a mechanic, like I don't know how they do it. We had barely time, like we'd ride mountain bike some days, but... If I went back, I'd like to just ride motocross in California. We rode three days on a track, maybe. For like six weeks or five weeks, we rode three days on motocross tracks, like barely at all. And like two of the three were on supercross suspension because we couldn't be bothered to change it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it 
it'd be rad to go make more of a holiday of it and actually ride the motocross tracks out there. It looked pretty fun, but it was so cool with McGrath and everyone like got to meet so many cool people. We were on the carry track one day and like Anderson came over with, I can't remember because they're on the track next door now, like the KTM Husky track yeah. at where they all are. And they're like, oh, this was our track last year. So he like rolled around and just hit everything first lap, like chatting some shit. And that for me, like I'm a super fan, dude. That was so cool. I'm like trying to play it cool. Like, yeah, this is nothing. And that was rad. And then Western Pike, dude, honestly, such a nice, helpful guy. Like people think he's this gnarly, like tattoo, like be up for easy bit. He was so like, not shy to start. I don't want to say shy, just such a helpful guy. Just like quiet, gentle, and then just like real funny, dude. Like he couldn't have been more helpful and like, he had this school up in the desert he was running to help kids that were trying to qualify for futures and supercross things. And yeah. he like, not bullied me to come out. You better come up here. I'm going to help you. Like, come out. You. So like, he was awesome. So yeah, the experience itself, like you can't have paid for it, dude. I'm so, so lucky that I'm good enough at one sport that Matt and fly racing. Cause they're who hooked me up with Western it all happened. So it was unreal that like, when you look back at it, but I just had ended slightly different. Even if I'd come last, I just wanted to ride in the stadium, you know? It would have been awesome. Yeah, dude. That would have been such a crazy, crazy experience. And yeah, like to do what you did, man, is just so gnarly. Like it's it's impressive just to <laughs> like fuck the balls that it takes to go and like have, you know, McGrath giving you a bike and like, you know, being on these tracks with these guys like Dude, I fucking hats off to you because that is some intimidating <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's gnarly. I know like the pro circuit, the first day I rode the pro circuit track, I didn't go through the whoops because they're just, they're so big there. Like the Cowie ones were a lot, lot easier, but the pro circuit ones are gnarly. I'm Weston, he had his eye injury and he hadn't ridden for a while and he didn't ride through them the first day we were there. So that made me feel a lot better. But dude, it's gnarly. You got these two guys like Faulkner and... Back and do a march bank, stood up on the bank when you're rolling out. You're like, I know they're watching. You've got to forget yeah. about it. But it is, it's so gnarly, dude. It was rad. Every time I go out and come back in, I'm like, I've done a few more laps. Like, feeling good about myself. But yeah, it was not relaxing. <laughs> but, uh... The um, what you said so right about the uh, like a privateer trying to race supercross. Like, there's a, a young Aussie dude, uh, Duran Stapleton, over there. And like, man, yeah. he's been over there just doing the privateer thing. And like, he's he's got through to a bunch of mains. And it's just like, people have no idea how hard it Dude. is to sit on that 91 freeway and sit on the 15 and the traffic. And then it's traffic both ways. And then you got to wash your bike. And then you got to fucking try and recover. And then you got to try and get good food, get sleep, do it all again tomorrow. Like... It is a grind, dude. Dude, a grind. It's dusty. It's dry. It's windy so much. Like said, windy and get cold. Good food anywhere, dude. Yeah. Windy and cold. Trying to get good food. It's dark early. Like we'd be jet washing half the time at night. The bike and just anything. And then we're trying to like do vlogs. I still have to run the man bike team, so like I'd be like slacking a bit. Like shit, dude. I got to do some bike orders, or I got to send some emails. Like on the way to the track, I'd sit in the van, like. Barney, my mechanic, bike mechanic, who's in the vlogs, him and Jordan would drive a lot. And my little brother, they would drive to the track a lot so I could sit in and do emails on the way there and back. But it was, dude, it's full on. Like, I mad respect to all the pros that race Supercross and all the privateers. Like, the hustle they do, dude, even at the top level, with the driving the tracks and back even, then eating, 
then training, then right. It's dude, it is impressive, super impressive. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why guys like uh, Ad Cole Sealy on the podcast last week, and he said that for five months in Florida, he'd spend one hundred and fifty grand. I believe it, dude. You'd have to as well if you want to be serious. Like at his, like he's at the sharp end of the field, you know. And if he doesn't want to drive through fucking two hours of traffic each way to the track and yep. ride crap dirt and then all this other shit, you know, like you'd have, I can see it, dude. Like, honestly, I spent 30 or probably 30,000 US dollars in what, two, three months, you know, like, and I'm not nearly at his level and I don't need the facility and all the things. Like, I can easily see how he spent that. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, you're just like paying for convenience at that point, you know? Yeah. 100% like it hit, but he'd have to or he'd never get any gym work done like yeah. we had gym at the beginning when we got there and we used it twice we literally didn't have time to go there if I wanted to ride my mountain bike too still do like a couple of events content on that a week because my mountain bike sponsors didn't hate me and then ride supercross we didn't have time to go to the gym like not once because we were driving too much like mm. crazy dude like so much respect for those guys honestly the most humbling thing I've done in my life ever like so humbled like I'm a squid dude, like out here. It's gnarly. Uh, how was your fitness like on Supercross? Was it, did you find that like the mountain bike fitness kind of translated in any way or? Dude, I was kind of too bad at Supercross. Like, I couldn't get tired. Like I couldn't link enough laps together t- very well yeah. that I would ever get tired. I remember getting tired once at Glen Helen, literally once ever where I linked probably five laps together and didn't breathe. And I was like, whoa. I'm tired, but honestly, normally I'd just be like working on sec. I was always trying to learn to be better that I would like hit the rhythm lane, turn and do the whoops, then turn around, hit the rhythm lane, do the whoops, turn around, hit the rhythm. So I'd never really get tired. I would rarely do laps. Like my, never my worry was to do laps. It was like, learn the triple real good out the turn. Like we'd always be working on something. Like it was only the last couple of times and maybe that one time where I ever really linked enough laps around. To be like, Oof. or once Weston was following me, like when we first got there, actually Weston was like, right, you've got to do two laps without stopping. And I'm going to follow you. And he'd be like on my tire, dude, just like, and he'd be like revving the bike in turns. And it was so cool. Like someone from Transworld came to film it and I still haven't got the videos from it. I really want to see it. Like it was my worst day, my first day. So it'd be my worst day riding at Glen Helen. But dude, I got Weston Pike behind me. That's like so rad to me. Like, don't want to say that because I like know him now. <laughs> but it was yeah. so sick. But I remember then I was not breathing, dude, like at all. Like, I don't even remember where I breathed on the track. So I was like, <sighs> after two or three laps. But yeah, I was too bad. Like, my fitness was so much higher than my skill level. Yeah. Like, it was, I don't know. I'd get pumped up, but only because I'm gripping on so tight, not because I'm going quick. So <laughs> as yeah. soon as like, I kind of got better, like, don't know it never became an issue because i was too bad and how much like when you just went back to normal moto riding and just going riding with the boys at your local tracks back in the uk like how much better at motocross were you because of that experience funny thing is we've had time to ride this year so i got home from that home 10 days i think and i had to fly to new zealand so i got home didn't ride flew to new zealand next time i rode was like matt walker my friends three no he got a ktm next time i rode farm bike in new zealand dude an xt350 from like 1996 yeah. so i hacked around on that all summer in new zealand and then he had a ktm 450 and i rode that at in the summer like the six weeks i was there 
but so much more confident better dude they're like there's these two doubles there they've got the worst condition like sandy lips and i'd start like 10 foot from them and seat bounce like a 40 foot double dude i would just get real good at hitting the throttle hard my worst thing at supercross was i'd be like whereas they land and go rah land rah so i was real bad at that so i got way better like even in new zealand i'd come out of these doubles dude and i'd just be like playing on his bike i'm in a t-shirt and boots and like both brake lever and clutch lever snapped. It's not like a dial bike. But I could just roll into a jump and just throttle seat effect like so easy. And then what did we do when we got home from there? I don't think we rode because we got home and then COVID hit a week later. So I didn't ride across again for dude months. I've from California to now. I've probably ridden a track six times because of COVID. Like, all the stuff here has been shut. Yeah. So it's been weird. But every time I've gone out, yeah, like, I feel like a hero now compared to how I did. Like, I'll roll around a track once and then be like, okay, that jump's mess. I'll just hit it next lap. Or we did go to Tommy Searles, got a track at his friends. We went there. Oh, the one the at Eddie's? Lockdown, so I think. At Eddie's, yeah. So yeah. I went there in May. And one of the jumps there, dude, is big. Like, yeah. massive. Like, this, it's like wide open on a one two five as fast as you can go and i had ridden that one two, five. i had ridden it was that the first day i rode it i think i'd ridden it up and down the driveway might be the first day i ever rode it actually and i hit that jump like third or fourth lap like pretty quick yeah and i never would have done that before dude that's like a, it looks like a table but if you case it you die yeah and yeah i like hit everything there in a few laps and i never would have done that before that's like tommy makes that track look easy but that's probably one of the harder tracks in the uk you know it's private and all the jumps you can't case them they're like pretty bad cases yeah so yeah it's made it's made tracks now pretty like yeah i go anywhere and i can just kind of roll around and hit jumps even though i've ridden many times like yeah i don't really worry too much now compared to a super cross track <laughs> yeah it's that's pretty funny you just that's you sick want. yeah that's sick that that's actually you know it made the your riding like feel so much more confident like i knew Oh, I had that same sort of experience with uh, we rode from Cairns to the tip of Australia and back and I just borrowed a, a mate's 450. So I rode an unregistered 450 for it was like 4,000 days <laughs> or whatever. But we were it took 10 days and like there was times where, you know, you do literally a whole tank of fuel with the throttle wide open in fifth gear. But you no just, way. And... I'd never done that shit. And like by, you know, by three, four days in, I just felt like I could do anything on the bike. Like even dumb shit, like you'd get in a trail and then you'd sort of, it's like, oh, dead end there. And you just go, rot. And you just sort of spin around. You you know, you could like really, yeah. just like the most random skill-based kind of shit just became so much easier. And then I went to uh, Townley's place and did the BT's tour, which, dude, you have to fucking do that. Like, you've got to go do the, the tour with BT. I want to go, actually want to get that happening when, when we can all go to New Zealand and do, like, me, you, dude. Ed, Wynn, Brooke, like, just get all the fucking boys. But... um, would be unreal. Dude, it'd be, like, the tracks are bullshit and BT's the fucking biggest lord ever. But, um, but yeah... <laughs> Like, I went straight from that Cape York trip, and I hadn't really been riding that much motocross. Like, I sort of sort of didn't ride that much over the last few years. And then I went to BTs, and I was just like, holy fuck, this is the best I've ever rode a bike. And I think it was just because 
I spent 10 days on the bike and you just get so used to riding essentially. Yeah, it's exactly it. And I guess same with me when I didn't ride lows, it's just being comfy and jumps, like loosening your grip in the air because you know now like, oh, I'm good on that. Or like going to flat, dude, I'll go to flat on anything now whereas before I'd be a bit scared. But I'm like, ah, whatever. You just, yeah, it's rad. You just get used to it. So yeah, I know it's a cool feeling for sure. When you come off a trip or something, you're like, shit, I'm better at that now. That's rad. Like I didn't even realize that. It's At least you achieved something out of it, I guess. <laughs> Man, it's cool too. Ed and... uh Ed and Tommy lived in Murrieta together, like when I first moved there. So, like, I didn't have like no that, way. yeah, that many that many friends. So, I used to hang around those boys quite a lot. Hey, eh? they're fucking dude. I love Ed. He is a lord, dude. Those two are funny. There, I've only met him once, but I've known Tommy like a little bit for a couple of years now. Oh uh, yeah. He doesn't remember when I was a kid. When I rode motorbikes when I was four years old, I, my brother was in Tommy's class at school. Like Tommy oh, doesn't really remember it, but like we went for like his fourth or fifth birthday party at his house, dude. And I remember his brother threw a pool ball at a pool or a snooker table through the window at his house. <laughs> like kids, I, rem- I don't remember much of my childhood. I remember that vivid brother threw a pool ball through their house window, and the parents went mental. And they had this little PW50 track there, and it was sick. But I haven't seen him much. I don't know him much now, but. Well, I'd kind of start to again now. I met him when I was trying the Supercross thing at Jordan's track in Bristol. And then, yeah, him and Eddie are cool. They just invited us up for the day to ride. And that was sick. Like, gnarly track, but sick. So, yeah, good bunch. Yeah, that, that track is no joke. I've never been to it, but I've seen, like, a ton of videos and stuff there. And, uh, yeah, that's, like, a fucking pretty pretty legit moto track. Yeah, I just got my 450 working again this week. And hopefully if our lockdown ends next week, I really want to go back up there and ride it on, like, a normal 450, not like an old 05, 125 that doesn't run the best. Probably yeah. a bit easier as well. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a couple of you've got a couple of pretty cool motos. Um, so you got like that CR 500, and then you got the the James Stewart replica 125. So when did that moto collection sort of start to happen? Uh, the first was two years ago now, two or three, three years ago. I always wanted a 500, dude. I don't know why. I just thought they were so sick, like. When I didn't have a motocross bike like six, seven years ago, I won a 500 on eBay, a KX500. Like I won it on eBay. I was that little dick that didn't go and buy it because I was scared. I was like, I didn't have a motocross bike at the time, but wanted one. And I always thought 500s were sick and like almost went to buy it. And my brother was like, no, I think it's a paladin. You're not going to ride it. But I've always wanted one. I always thought they were so cool. Like I always liked two strokes. And then that one I bought came up on eBay for like five grand or whatever, whatever, which is a good price because it came mint, dude. Like someone had got it from the States, brought it in here and like made it good. Should I get it? Should I not? Should I get it? And I'd had, did I just get my first podium? Nah. Or a podium or something. Like I'd made some prize money or something. I was like, did I really want it? It's only going to go, if I can't afford it by the end of the year and I have to sell it because I don't have enough money, it's going up in value or it's staying the same. It's safe money, you know? Yeah. Real safe money. I was like, fuck it, I'm getting it. So I got that and just, dude, I love that thing. I was like, I might only ride it once a month. I ride that thing loads. I fucking love it, dude. It's, really? It's gnarly, but yeah, I like love that bike. Like I've taken it to this track in Italy. I go to and just ridden it. I went this one time last year and I had that in my 450. I was like, right, I'm just going to start on the 500. Then I'll ride my 450 for the rest of the day. Like, it'll just be fun. I rode the 500 all day. Didn't even get my 450 out that day. And then like the next day I was there, I rode the 450. Like I love it, dude. And then... Always wanted like I've wanted a one two five for ages because because they're like a fun bike, 
And then at the beginning of this lockdown, as it was happening, we saw that on Facebook Marketplace. It was £1,600 for a KX125. And like it had the shittest plastics and wheels and tires and like grips and graphics. But I could see like the frame was real good. The motor looked real good. And I, so I bought that for 16 or 1650 And I'm super lucky with Fly and like WPS. They give us like, well, they give me loads of parts if I need it. They'll be like, I don't know. I'm like, hey guys, can I get like a new head or can I get some plastics or whatever? Like hook me up. Because I don't know, hopefully they, I guess they do appreciate what we do for them and so they send me stuff out. So they, what's WPS though? WPS, that's Western Power Sports. They're a distribution oh, company. Oh, yeah. Okay. They sell Max's tires to shops. They sell the Cherbis plastics to shops and everything. So, so they are have they, every hard part you could imagine. Are they a like a US company or like a global company? No, US. Western yeah. Power Sports is like in Boise, Idaho. So they sponsor the Supercross Series now. You'll see it says WPS and Fly Racing. Yeah. So Fly Racing is WPS's own in-house gear brand. That's all Fly Racing is, ah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Runs, it's like, dude, why are we selling everyone else's gear? Why don't we make our own sick gear? He made Fly Racing. Epic. So they're just a distributor. They're literally just a distributor, but they do all the sickest parts and bits. So I can like, hey, can I get some V-Force read valves? Can I get this can i get some new rims for moto so they sent me all this cool stuff for that kx125 which didn't cost me so then i spent like two months in lockdown like building wheels and like making it cool so yeah i got 450 that i bought the cow a for the a1 thing like i literally just bought because i had a honda but when i found out jeremy was going to lend me a bike i was like i may as well buy a cowie so i'm mm. on the same bike sold the honda got the cowie and yeah i've got a 500 a 90 my 590 my 500 is a 1996 and the 125 is a 2005. So both really sick bikes. And like, then I'm like, my brother's ride, Boris, my older brother's got a bike now, but my little brother like rides sometimes. So it's pretty cool. Like I'm in a lucky enough position now I can afford to have a few of them. So it's yeah. rad. like if Eddie and Matt come over, they'll come out to the track and then they've got a bike to ride or like Wynn didn't have a bike when he first got to the UK. So he borrowed mine for a few weeks. So it's sick having them. Like someone's always going to ride them if I offer. Like, yeah. like, hey guys, I'm going out today. Ron either comes with me or we have a bigger crew, dude. Like if I can afford it, Maxis are going to give me a couple of tires for it. Remy 10 and sprockets. Like I'm lucky enough that I can be like, hey, does anyone else want to come along today and ride one of my bikes? Because then maybe I'll ride it as well. So I get the choice of two and then someone else gets to ride it. So yeah, it's pretty cool having a few bikes now. Yeah, that's kind of the setup that I'm running at the moment or like sort of trying to run. Like I got my old Honda 450 and like my housemate, he used to ride when he was younger and like he's like a fucking sick surfer. But uh, like I've had him come out to the track with me and like a couple of guys that do some filming and stuff that don't have bikes. So I'm actually, I got my 350, I got the the Yamaha 250, no one's going to ride that. That'll only be me <laughs> riding that thing when that thing's done. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like I'm sort of trying to do that same thing because, yeah, I just I just want people to fucking froth on riding, you know. And I've got so much spare gear and shit nowadays as well. But it's cool when yeah. you can kind of have, like that's, I guess, kind of what I was saying before too, you know, like to have a sick garage and a few bikes so that all the fucking homies can, can get out and actually have a ride with you. It's pretty sick. And hopefully them, it's way more fun riding with your mate or more mates than also. It's pretty sick. And the 500 especially, whenever I take that out, like I don't force people to ride it, but almost. I'm like, right, I want you to have a go on it. I promise it's not as bad as you think or I promise you'll enjoy more. And then Wynn almost crashed it huge the other day in Italy. He like, I don't know how he didn't loop the thing out in a jump. 
Oh, like, no. He was just in a gear too easy. Like, just chopped a bit of throttle up the lip. I swear to God, he was so vert. On like a good, it's like probably a 40 foot table, 50 foot table. I don't know how he didn't crash and it would have been massive, but he said he was enjoying it until then. And then like a load of the mountain bike guys have had a go on it. So it's such a cool bike to ride and so rewarding. I love, love having the fire, especially if there's a big crew because everyone will take it for a lap. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's the 500, you know, like you're the guy with the 500 in the pit. So it's pretty cool. Dude, Win actually rides pretty good, eh? Yeah, he's got a funky style. I'm going to make fun of his style. He looks like a seagull. But he holds some <laughs> good speed. But like, he's good at turning. Like, jumps aren't his thing. But he's good. At, he'll hold a good speed around a turn. Like, real good speed. So, no, he's pretty funny. He needs to work on his style a bit. But he can hold some good speed. And he's good in the woods. Like, trail riding, he's real good at. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've only ever rode moto with him. We um, It was pretty sick, actually. Like, uh, this, was what, this is probably one of, like, the cooler things about the podcast, pretty much, is that now whenever i go somewhere there's somebody anywhere in the world that listens to the podcast that rides essentially and so we went to i was at um i went to farm jam this year and uh so we stayed in queenstown at the red bull house and then as soon as we sort of posted that we were there i had people messaging me saying like come and ride come and ride and then this one guy he had like I've said told the story before, but he had like this dodgy fucking Instagram handle, and I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then he was on private, so like I couldn't suss him out. And then uh, he was like, We got the dopest grass track. You got to come ride. You got to come ride. And uh, he's like, I got this bike for you, and blah blah blah. I didn't have any gear, and I was like, Ah, oh, fuck, nah. I-, I think I'll just give it a miss. And then Win hits me up, and Win's like, Dude, you got to come ride. It's gonna be sick. And then. I guess win vouching for it made me be like, all right, fuck yeah, I'll go ride. And um, I believe it, yeah. Anyway, like I, I got, I borrowed some gear and I, I ended up borrowing a helmet off Win because I didn't want to run one of Berriman's Red Bull helmets. And um, and yeah, just put on, <laughs> put on all Berriman's gear and me and Win went out and fucking just motoed all afternoon. It was like nine o'clock at night when we finished riding and man, just had like the sickest time. Eh? He's just, he's such a good, good dude. But to be out of like you know, go anywhere in the world now and like pretty much have people offer you bikes and tracks is like the sickest fucking byproduct of the podcast. Dude, that's unreal. It's such a, that's so sick for podcasts. And I think with social media probably helps with that. Like you say, you reached out yeah. to your Instagram. I know people hate on social media, but for things like that, dude, it's so like my favorite track. I'm crazy because I always go to this one, but I saw about that on Instagram. I just saw it on the explore page one day and now you learn about it. So I think it's rad. And yeah, like you say, meeting all these cool people through it's so sick. And especially with Wynn, dude, he's such a frother. It's so good. He's Wynn's always up for doing something sick. And I probably have met so many people on no cool things or like met a grass track in New Zealand or whatever it is through yeah. Wynn. Yeah. Like these random things. It's so funny that you'll do because of him. So, no, it's sick. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and like the, the guy, um, shout out to Fluff, like he's actually the biggest lord ever. And now like he'll message me on Instagram all the time. So, but I, I definitely don't have that negative social media thing. Like I, um, I don't really scroll a lot on Instagram, but, um, I try, especially actually, uh, I, when I had Eddie on the podcast, we started talking about how Win replies to every single DM. And then I was like, dude. <laughs> hey but you know what it's the fucking move because if people want to take the time to message you you should you know you should try and write back it is so, rad. Yeah. take you a minute 
I after yeah after I had that podcast with uh, with Eddie, I went and uh, I didn't clear him, but I got like quite a ways through him. And uh, but yeah, I mean it's a the the whole social media thing, man. Like if you want to use it for a fucking for good, it can be a super good thing. Yeah, dude. If you, it's like anything though. If you look at something in a positive light, you can make it positive. You look at it in a negative way, it's gonna be bad. So. But I'm a big fan of it in a good way, I think, and you can get super creative on it. So I think it's rad. But yeah, Windows some funny shit, dude. He got into an argument. I'm gonna call him out with some guy. So not an argument. Some guy was like making fun of him. I was like, when you're biting to this guy. <laughs> what we were doing in London the other day, we did a photo shoot yesterday. He's like, this guy's telling me to do this. I don't know why he's telling me this. I'm like, because he's winding you up. <laughs> but it was funny. But I think Win generally he uses it in such a good way, and I think inspiring people is rad like he makes so many kids want to go out and do wheelies so i think it's a rad thing yeah dude um what's the what's your sort of future gonna be with like youtube and content and stuff like that like do you sort of do, like do you look at all of that sort of stuff as like a like a sep- separate sort of platforms that you got to try and master or and you're like each year you try and step up each of those things individually or sort of like where are you at with with that side of things uh i guess instagram i don't know i just literally everything i do on instagram i like doing or like i want to get more creative or want to do something sicker or like i care too much probably about some things like i'll do a whip and i'll have like a three whip clips that they filmed and i will like analyze it to the millimeter of which whips better i'm like dude no one even knows it's yeah. on their phone probably gonna scroll past it and like they haven't seen the three whips they've only seen the one i posted but yeah. like i really enjoy it like trying to get creative we'll do the best whip i can do for it like i will try as hard as i can like and do it good or like if i do a stop here i'm like oh it was a pretty good one but i know i can do it better i might go for another hour trying to get it better but that's probably like an obsessive problem but then youtube dude i just make that i just make that as fun as easy just must enjoy just fucking around on that and making funny videos so that one's just cruisy i feel like you can do anything on that and people will watch it yeah like i i do it when i watch some people's i find sometimes the shit bits the best bits mm. like if someone's just fucking around being their natural self driving to the track or driving to this trip they're going on and traveling through the airport it might be way funnier than their epic helmet cams and epic filming from the trip i want yeah. to see the shit from in between or him and his mate talking at the airport like we are now i guess so i don't know i guess yeah you had that my instagram and my youtube are completely different styles really but probably because they are two different things and that's how i enjoy them i don't know yeah the hard it's to say it's funny like the i mean the youtube thing is such a hard thing to crack for me like because the shit that works really good for me on youtube is essentially just like moto fucking gossip like clickbaity title you know take a quote don't really give it the correct context and it'll get a fuckload of views and if you you don't but if you don't do that it just doesn't really work and i think like i think i was sort of i was in my head like trying to make it how i wanted it to be but i pretty i think i've just given up now and i'm just like whatever i'll just get that fucking check every month and like you know like (laughs) itunes is iTunes is the place where if you really care and you want to listen to the full thing and you really want to like take something from these awesome conversations and these great fucking people, go to the iTunes, listen to the full shows, you won't be disappointed. But it's like, I can't expect people to want that on YouTube. 
and I have nah. been. I'm like, <laughs> listen to all this great shit. And now I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You get clickbait. And if you want to call me out and say that I'm a fucking dog for making clickbait titles, then fuck it. It is what it is. Dude, this is what it is. That's the whole of YouTube. People love it. They, they're they clicking the clickbait titles. They want to click them. So right? Let them have it, I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> let them have it. Make your Instagram and your iTunes nice and good and give people the good stuff. And YouTube, they can have whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like uh, the, the, I sort of was thinking about it like this though, the other day, like to defend my fucking honor, essentially, is I'm like, bro... <laughs> YouTube gives me a hundred fucking characters. I've got to put the title of my podcast, which is like 30 fucking characters or 22 characters. And then I've got uh, the guest name. And then I've got essentially four words to make a title for this video. So fuck you. It's clickbaity as fuck. Eat a dick. <laughs> yeah, that's too good. He's worked out the characters. Yeah, it's just like, oh, bro, Twitter gives, Twitter gives you more. Like, I don't even get the same length of a tweet to make a title for this video, all right? So yeah. how about the title makes you watch it and then the video gives you the context? Dude, there you go. I think my titles are too shit. I don't even think I get near the 100 characters. <laughs> nah, yeah. You just got to clickbait the fuck out of people. It's kind of... It sucks, but that's how the... That's, it, it's the ultimate, like, don't hate the player, hate the game, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Completely, yeah. <laughs> oh, but, that's like, is it, something that's, is it something you want to try and, like, step up in the future? Because, I mean, I, I don't know what sort of views you get on there, but, like, you can definitely make money. Dude, yeah, for sure, like... I enjoy it, but like, I'd love to make mine not more of like a gypsy show, but like, in a way, but I like, almost, I just want like cars in it, motorbikes. I want fucking me going around my garden on my Z50 and my bikes. Like, I want to do some cool videos. Like, if I'm doing a new bike build, I'm going to film it as good as I can and like yeah. slide the crank in and have like ASMR or whatever it is, you know, like, I want to do some cool ones like that. But at the same time, dude, I just want to live this life that I'm living now and like, it would be nice to not have to worry about money if I can just keep fucking around in the mud outside with my mates, you know? That's all I do. <laughs> so I'd love to like help it keep me be able to do that. So, and I enjoy it, dude. I enjoy the challenge. Like I say some days it'll be rainy and I'm like, dude, I don't want to go outside there. But I'm like, oh, let's go film the sick drift video. It'll be well funny. We'll like do this and it will kind of like not force you to go and do it, but it will like give you like encouragement to go film a dumb video. Yeah. But once you're out there, you will enjoy doing and I will create good content and hopefully people will enjoy watching it. So I don't know. I really honestly don't enjoy it. The editing sometimes is annoying. And like writing the description I hate because I suck at writing. But doing the videos, I like it. And you can make really good money off it, dude. People are out there driving Lamborghinis and all sorts off yeah. it. So yeah, you can do well off it. So it's a cool thing. I think it's another really cool tool if you use it right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, there's like a lot of, the, I don't think there's that many people doing it in the lane that you're in too. And I think that that's what you've got to try and sort of figure out, you know, like you've got pro mountain biker, run a team, super good on a moto. Like there, there is this unique lane that, that you are in. And, you know, I think that all of this, any content is about like the kind of the niche that you're in and you definitely are in a niche. Yeah, hopefully. Like, yeah, because I could either transform into super like presentary role where I'm like, hey, everyone today, we're going to do this. And I do enjoy that sometimes. But like you said, I kind of do just want it to be the niche really, like 100% just what stupid shit are we doing today almost. Just, yeah, like literally a lifestyle documentary of we're going to 
piss around this today or hey we bought this shit car today and then today we're gonna ride motocross today we're traveling to a world cup and then suddenly it's a real professional video because yeah we're doing like a world cup race but it's a cool niche like because we're doing all these different things so hopefully it continues to grow and i think it's rad how many people like on youtube it's kind of weird like even though i've got what two hundred fifty thousand instagram followers and forty thousand on youtube you're like way more famous off youtube which isn't a good thing or like it kind of it doesn't suck i don't want to say it sucks but like people shout at you everywhere and they think they know you because of youtube mm. they do feel like they get to hang out with you for a day right they're like watching me go around london with win they're watching us eat they're watching us like get ready in a car they feel like they've hung out with you for the day and like someone will come up to you and just be quite gnarly with what they say like they're your best mate or just stand there or like tell you mm. what to do oh, dude, chill a bit whereas it's like you get fans on instagram but no like super fans or like invasive fans that you get on youtube you know so it's kind of a weird one like you know if you go too far that you'll be a real celebrity and if that's not what you want you gotta be careful for instagram man and vikings normally pretty chill but youtube do get intense they love yeah dude it, it is weird eh? like uh the the youtube thing in general is just like just seems like i I don't understand though. Like I spend quite a lot of time on YouTube. Like I don't have a TV in my house or anything. Like if I watch content, I watch it on YouTube. But so like, I, it's weird to say that YouTube has a weird audience because I'm a YouTube audience, but like it is fucking weird, man. Like it's a, it's definitely a super bizarre place. Even like the comments that you get, the way that the, I think that one of the reasons YouTube's weirder than Instagram is because it's very hard to be, um, anonymous on instagram like you can have sort of a private account or whatever and and i guess it's sort of you could pull off the anonymous thing but like man there's like we got this one dude that just repeatedly comments on all my videos and tries to like make himself sound super smart like he can call out any fuck up that i make in a three-hour <laughs> podcast and uh, and i'm like his his fucking thing is anakin skywalker and it's just like, bro, tell me who the fuck you are. Like, yeah. I'm I'm out here. Like, you know who I am. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, I put a, I kind of, eh? I have to stand by everything I say. But like, I just don't feel like I give a fuck about what anyone says that is calling himself Anakin Skywalker. Dude, it's just weird. People can hide behind a screen and just like in a negative way, they do it in a positive way. Like, people will say like the nicest stuff so over the top and then whole stuff over the top. But it's this weird world that everyone lives in. And like you say, it's this weird YouTube audience, but we are, both of us probably watch loads of YouTube, so we're yeah. in this audience too. But I think you've got people that watch stuff and people that comment on stuff, you know? And like yeah. so many people that comment on it are rad, don't get me wrong. There's loads of positive comments, but like human nature, naturally, we just take in the negative ones way more or notice the negative ones way more, which sucks that we do. But in our nature, you're like, whoa, why is that guy being mean to me? Doesn't even know me or why is he this mm. but yeah, yeah commenters commenters are the pointless ones like that a1 thing dude was gnarly i remember don't just pull these out wait up my headphones are out yeah you, you good we're back we're back yeah like the a1 thing i remember like one of the first videos i put out dude it was kind of gnarly to read it like i was like after i was like wow i feel well weird and i was like wow i'm kind of sad i guess it's like people are just writing horrible shit about you online and then some 
some guy looked at the pink bike article in my video into like vital mx for him and it got so gnarly in there dude like people like who the fuck like people just hating me and like making fun of you're like whoa what have these guys got to gain like what's up with them yeah dude i'm like putting myself out here openly sucking like not claiming to be anything being terrible at up not in a big headed way i'm used to being like pretty good at stuff like when i race mountain bikes like i'm pretty good at it and i'm like <laughs> hey world and i'm like look everyone in the world watch me be really bad at something like watch me start from zero and be bad at this to thousands of people and they still hate it on you so it's a weird audience and weird how like humans think they can just not just judge you but like don't comment on you like imagine just walking up to someone and be like you suck dude like why you it's so weird in the youtube world how people think they can do all that stuff but don't know it's a new it's so new still i guess yeah and i think it's like a good um like a good skill to have as weird as it sounds to like be able to brush off that kind of shit like there's a balance that you've got to find between actually taking on like at the start of the podcast, like I've, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at having a fucking podcast, but it's like at the start, I wasn't that good at it, but it's like, it's taken me three years of like hard work and dedication to get quote unquote better. And it's like, you get these people that comment, some of it's right. And that's probably the stuff that hurts the most. But then the other <laughs> shit, like it's actually, I think a good skill to get used to br- being able to just brush off the bullshit that people fucking carry on with dude definitely it's weird like yeah just the, for sure the stuff that hurts the most and people are making fun of you like, yeah i did suck at that i know i sucked at that yeah but then sometimes you're like dude i'm trying my best man i'm learning here and i'm trying to provide <laughs> you with entertainment i was like i'm literally giving you free entertainment you don't have to watch it or you don't have to listen to it just enjoy it do you have to write something horrible but yeah it definitely helps you like brush it off i'll be like dude it doesn't matter everyone can say as many mean things as they want but it doesn't matter like who cares really I know it's easier said than done, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you, I so think it, it's get, a weird it, one. it gets easier though. Like I, I definitely brush it off so much more now. But dude, I've started, especially on YouTube, I just reply to every negative comment, hashtag free content. <laughs> yeah, dude, exactly. It's just free. I remember <laughs> watching a, or listening to a Joe Rogan thing though, and he said, he's like, dude, all he was trying the negative and never positive. And he said he felt real guilty at the end because he's like, dude, I want to say thanks to the people that write nice comments because they're the people that are his fans. But he's like, in the end, like you, too many comments, you know, you can't reply to 30,000 comments in a day. Like it's unrealistic, but it's a weird one. Cause he's like, dude, I'm giving all the negative people feedback and none of the like mm. um, positive guys feedback. So I kind of felt bad about that because I was replying to some of them and I was like, dude, I can't reply to all the negative and all the positive because like they're like in-depth replies. I'm like, but you do you get way better at it and like dealing with it and it's just youtube's a weird place man even though like i say we're all on it and like normal people are on it but yeah i don't know we'll see how it goes no it it is it is fucking super weird like i'm actually stoked that most of the audience on youtube is in the u.s because i'm just not there like i just got no risk like (laughs) you know when i go to a supercross in america like i just don't not getting to go to races like the people just aren't really gonna see me so i just don't kind of give a fuck and then people in australia just it's so different like the the people that listen to the show in australia are just like the coolest motherfuckers ever man like we go to 
we went to OzX last year, Marvel Stadium, and like anytime I'd get up and go to the bar, anywhere I'd go, like you'd just hear people from like up fucking way up in the stands be like, Gypsy Gang! And you're just like, you're like that's fucking so sick. That's but, sick, dude. But like all the negative that's shit, so it's just like YouTube Americans. I'm just like, cool. I don't have to see you guys. Yeah. Super weird. Yeah, that was basically all mine. Like all the Americans on Vital MX that were not fans. <laughs> not one bit. It was like I had gone into their garden and stolen their dirt or something or stolen their bike to ride. There were, there were some upset people out there. Well, dude, I think, man, like I'm so I'm so glad I got to hear that story firsthand about A1, man. It's fucking hectic what you did. Like so, but first of all, yeah. it's retarded that you could think that you could do it. But then it's like so, <laughs> but then it's so awesome that you actually fucking did. You got so close to lining up at A1 and like you had yeah. no business doing that. And that's fucking incredible. <laughs> no business, dude. No business. <laughs> I would have made it on the track, but I had no business. Yeah. It was funny. Well, well, honestly though, props, because you did look a lot better than I think you even give yourself credit for. <laughs> I feel like at least now I could go out with most mountain bikers and probably beat most if not all of them around a supercross track so that makes me happy yeah there is some legit fast moto dudes that ride uh mountain bike dudes that ride moto like who's that french kid there's some um, fail alexander fail or he he rides a moto pretty, pretty good. good danny he Hart does looks like he ride rides pretty, pretty good. good yeah he's good but dude, same as what I thought though. You think you're good at moto, you go to a supercross track, it's fucking. Oh yeah. It's not even the same thing. So there's some good guys in moto. Yeah, moto. I definitely have my work cut out. We go to a supercross track. I think I got them covered. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd say that's a hundred percent that you would have them covered. But yeah, there's some there's some good guys in the man and white world. Gwynny for sure. Chris Verge has re- he's not the quickest, but he's good style. Yeah. He's a French guy. He's got real good style on one. That Angel might be the Suarez, one I'm thinking Spanish about. Guy, Maybe. There's some Look, good guys, dude. There's some guys that go well. Dude, I, that'd be pretty sick to do like some kind of World Cup moto mountain bike race. Dude, I'd take that so seriously. That'd be world champs for me. I would, <laughs> I'd be there to win. Wait, were, were <laughs> I'd you, be so nervous. Were you at Farm Jam this year, right? Yeah, I turned up late because my plane got turned around i got like halfway to queenstown and turned around but yeah i got me i think Sunday evening, whatever it was yeah yeah you look like you were taking the pit bike race super fucking serious so i can't imagine an actual mountain bike race uh an actual oh, like, dude, mountain bike dude, moto dude. race yeah that's it i won the first moto dude and that was it i was on <laughs> like i can't <laughs> not take something serious like that if it's a mo if it's a motorbike i take it so seriously like pit bikes especially i like i'm so confident on a pit bike i would I would put my money on pit biking against Paul. Like most people, like even motocross dudes, I would be pretty confident on pit bikes. <laughs> oh, that's unreal. Well, dude, I uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. I know it's getting pretty late there. And um, yeah, that was really cool to, to sit and chat and, and hear your story, man. It's pretty sick the way that you have cultivated uh, this life for yourself, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to hear it come from from you as well you know yeah well, i appreciate it being on and hopefully i don't sound like too much of a dick or cocky about <laughs> hopefully making this life work but yeah super super stoked to be on and listening hopefully they're it and yeah should be rad 
Yeah, well, I reckon we could probably get some cool shit going on in the future when uh, when everyone's allowed to travel and all that. And if uh, if you guys can get into New Zealand for next year, um, hopefully, I'd be I'll be pretty keen to go back to New Zealand and do some moto and mountain bike stuff um, at the start of next year. Hopefully, so if if that happens, I'll be there and we'll do one of these in person. Dude, a New Zealand like Gypsy Tales road trip podcast meetup or something, I would be. I'd be on the next plane if we could do that. That'd be unreal with a good crew. Well, so in for that. dude, I really, really want to make a New Zealand trip happen where we go and ride at Townley's and do that whole deal, man. Dude. And yeah, there's like, there's so much cool shit to do in New Zealand. And we've got, and there's like, you know, we got Cody Cooper and there's a full crew that we could make some dope shit happen. Dude. We've got to have pandemic's done sick brother all right man well i really appreciate it thanks again and um and yeah i'll talk to you soon no worries mate thanks a lot have a good one see you mate